Hello there. You're listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Hardcore Henry. I'm Tom Chick here with Christian Liskowski. Uh, I would just like to be known as Destroyer Class for this podcast. I don't know that I get that one. Oh, uh, what? I do. Let's oh, we'll get to that in a minute. And with a tagline for Hardcore Henry, Kelly Wand. It's like the Doom movie, but more recent. Oh, yeah, that did have that, that bit. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, wow, I can't talk. Okay, fine. Man. Oh, wow, that, that was strong. You're coming out hardcore, Kelly Wand. <sighs> By the way, uh, speaking of hardcore, mm. just a public mm. service announcement. Mm. Uh, you guys should see Green Room. Oh, I was going to see that, but then I saw High Rise. Huh. Well, too hmm. bad you didn't see Green Room. It's not for Dingus, but I'm going to make him see it anyway. All right, that said, Kelly Wan, <laughs> do you have more taglines for Hardcore Henry? Uh, the best Charlotte Copley resurrected movie since Elysium. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is there going to be a trifecta this week? It's like Zootopia. An unlikely partnership, an albino villain who's making an illicit army, a comically cavalier sidekick, and a protagonist whose superpowers jumping. Yeah, good. Okay. It's a bit. Hang on. Okay. Oh, oh, there's more. Okay. Yeah, keep them coming, Kelly. One. Don't let me get. Well, I was doing an impression of you, but yeah, there's, there's one. Else. <laughs> Seemed confusing till I saw High Rise. Hmm. Yeah. One that no one will get. Do you have one that someone right. will get yeah. to close it up? That's four. Shut up. All right. <laughs> wow, that's two shut-ups. Dingus, to, because Kelly's so irate, let's turn it over to you. Why don't you see if Kelly can channel his anger into a battle of wits. Ooh! A battle of wits against me. Right. He's not angry. I'm not telling anyone to shut up. I'm calm. I'm collected. I'm ready for a, a quiz or a contest or something. All right. We're going to do a uh, IMDb synopsis contest. Mm-hmm. And so you two are going to have to pit your wits against each other, flick, flick, and um, find out who can guess the movie that I am reading a synopsis from, from IMDb. I'm ready. All right, here we go. You guys ready? Yep. All right. Jake Van Dorn is a businessman. <laughs> Fandango? No. Fandango. That's not what he said. I know, but it's Van like Dorn, Fandango. They're similar. You can't change a B to an F. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, one, I'm doing whatever I can to get a competitive advantage here. That's a good uh, point, actually. I don't care. <laughs> what? It goes well for me. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> what if the team said that in the Super Bowl halftime? <laughs> uh, does that affect the spread? I believe that has happened from time to time. Anyway, Jake, Jake Van Dorn is a businessman from the American heartland who shares strong Calvinist convictions with most of his countrymen. Thank you for his, smoking? No. Okay. Calvinist? That's yeah. Tom's best for the word Calvinist. Yes. His teenage daughter is missing from her church youth convention trip to California, and Van Dorn hires a private investigator to find her. Hardcore? There you uh, go. Tom wins. No, I won. Oh, I, I get I get the tie-in. 
Speaking of hardcore, yeah. Uh, that's a great uh, Peter Boyle performance, by the way. I mean, everyone remembers George C. Scott, but uh, Peter um, Boyle is awesome in that. Right. Uh, I watched it's it's not Paul Schrader. Um, Paul Schrader. It's Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader. Yeah. 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 Paul Schrader. <laughs> they are a little similar. Uh, he plays a lot of electric piano during it. They both look like In's Mouth people. <laughs> <laughs> that came out wrong. Uh, so I remember seeing, I remember seeing Hardcore when I was way too young to understand much of what's going on, and there's a scene late in the movie where George C. Scott has finally tracked down. So the premise of the movie is that he he's discovered that his daughter was in a porno movie and he wants to basically rescue her from this seedy existence. So he tracks down a guy who was in a porno movie with her who was basically acting, quote unquote, opposite her. And the guy doesn't realize, I, I don't think, that George C. Scott is her father. So he's describing what it was like to work with her. Uh, and he has some line – this is going to sound crude. I apologize. But he has some, some line along the lines of – yeah, I worked with that chick, and afterwards, man, she was no good. My dick was, like, so sore. And, like, George C. Scott just goes crazy and beats him up and just, just wails away on him. And I remember as a kid hearing that and thinking, well, wait, what did she do to him? Like, why was – I don't understand the dynamics of – as a kid who didn't really understand the whole sex thing yet, I was like, what happened to him that they were doing a porno movie and that he was injured in that area? I'm, I'm very confused. I didn't think that sort of thing would go on. I like that now that you're an adult, you think uh, it's crude to say my dick was sore. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what Peter crude. Boyle's oh. character's name is? Uh, Jim Fandango. No. No, I do not, actually. I'd love to know what. It's yes, Andy. I can hear you, Jim Fandango. It's Andy uh, Mast. Andy Mast? Yeah. Past tense? Wow. <laughs> no, Mast, what as if, in what a ship. past tense was T-A-S-S? No, as in a ship's mast. Andy Oh, right. It's like the flagpole on a ship, right? Yeah, like a flagpole <laughs> on a ship. That's how they steer it, Tom. Did you know that? Well, Where's Kelly Wan, what I know, what I know, Kelly Wan, is that I won. That's what I know. I wasn't even listening, but it was still a good uh, matchup. Well, Dingus, uh, as the victor, my request is that uh, you tell the listeners what movie we saw this week. All right, well, this week we saw Hardcore Henry, mm-hmm. also known simply as Hardcore. Where? Where do they say that? It's it's one of the alternate titles for this movie. The only alternate title for this movie was it was also known as Hardcore. I don't believe that. Right. Uh, It is a. I mean, I reject. I I believe that you believe that, but I reject it as a true fact. He rejected as a true fact. All right, it is a false fact. Unaccept the bluff. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Hardcore Henry, also known simply as Hardcore, a 2016 Russian American action adventure science fiction. GoPro Hero 3 movie about the importance of autosave and Dramamine. It was written and directed by Ilya Naishuler with additional writing by Will Stewart. (laughs) That's how it's credited, with additional writing by Will Stewart. Dingus Uh, colon underrated. It stars Charlotte Copley, Haley Bennett, Danila Kozlovsky, and about 10 cameramen and stuntmen. Hardcore Henry is rated R mm-hmm. for Hardcore. Nonstop bloody brutal violence and mayhem. Language throughout. Sexual content slash nudity. And drug use. What? 
Oh, oh yeah, of course, right, yeah. And I was yeah, thinking at least Tom, there's this, no, this is my ego talking when I say that. At least there's no. Oh yeah, because I was going to say there's no smoking, but you're right, that was smoking too. All right, well, I agree with that MPAA. Kelly Wan, do you take any issue with that, or do you think they forgot to warn parents about any particular elements of the movie? If I was them and they were dead, <laughs> well, which I, I think is awesome. Okay. Well, I mean, if they didn't great exist. Great song title, by the way. If I were this, this movie has really made you violent tonight, Kelly Wan. Yeah, he's really on. He's really yeah. aggressive. What's up? Yeah. <sighs> I just put a new battery in my chest from a guy. Uh, <laughs> from your, your – you just stuck a new vape. Pen in your check. I think it's just my natural demeanor, really. This is how I, um, but I would add some talking. <laughs> Charlotte Copley's junk uh, and an albino. Okay, good. Kelly, one, I've got something that you're going to really enjoy. Ooh! On Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews of hardcore that were positive doesn't really uh, have anything to do with how much people liked it but it's how widely it was liked hardcore or i'm calling it <laughs> hardcore now hardcore henry is at 51 percent oh split down the middle now metacritic which is a slightly different number what metacritic is it's an average of ratings from various reviews so it is more of a reflection of how much people liked it rather than how widely it was liked although that does figure into it but on metacritic hardcore henry is it 51? Hmm. Huh. Totally different. Wide. Widely liked. Totally. <laughs> well, we've never seen that before. You, you're fond of saying, oh, there's a two in both numbers. Like I thought you might appreciate when the numbers were identical, but I guess you don't care. No, they're identical all the time. What if I told you that it, made a, it opened at $5.1 million? Hmm. That's not true. Uh, it, did, it was $5 million. I don't know what the tenth value was. Like I don't know what point well, it Well, if we was. round up and it made a cent more, which is likely because that's – you know. That's not how rounding up works. Uh, it unfortunately only opened at number five. It was beaten by a couple of million, like 1.7 million, by My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2. <laughs> really? Yeah. Essentially See, the same movie. Box office tracking is not a science. Only what, we, only what I just said is a science. Uh, it, part of it, I think, wasn't that still – we're seeing it a little late, but I think it was competing with that uh, Batman vs. Superman movie. Probably a lot of people were – But did that, did that make less than 5.1? And was that also the same – did it make 2.29 million and get 29 and rotten tomatoes? Uh, there, there's no there, there's no sort of sense you can make out of anything in Batman vs Superman, and that includes the box office take and the critical reception, as well as stuff actually in the movie. Yeah. What if it took place in a reality where everybody's name was Martha, and then that didn't bring them back? Together? Do you know who played Bruce Wayne's parents in that movie? Like I recognized one of them, but I didn't recognize the other one. Do you know who, Dingus won't know this, but do you know who those were, Kelly Wand? Someone from Walking Dead. Two someones from Walking Dead. Daryl and um, the guy from Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah. <laughs> Daryl's name. Uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan was the father, and the the girl, I think her name is Laura Cohen, uh, who plays Maggie, was the mother, and I didn't catch that at all. Oh. Yeah. I can see them together yeah. after the finale. Uh, Maggie's in a horror movie called The Boy. Does that make you want to see it? The one about the puppet? Yeah. It's not even a puppet. It's just a doll. Like If it was a puppet, that might be more interesting. A doll's a puppet with its strings snipped. I think of a puppet as something that you make it talk. Like a doll, back. a doll is just something that sits there. And this doll does not talk. It just wait. Dolls talk. Well, this one kind of does communicate. It's all they do. Spoiler, but uh, this one, maybe you should check out this movie. 
That's what's dumb about dolls is they really just talk and it's like you don't need the doll part. Like you may as well just listen to the sound chip. Does Annabelle talk? The doll that got her own movie after The Conjuring? She didn't talk in The Conjuring. I don't think she talks. But the uh, Annabelle's a prequel, isn't it? Maybe she lost the power of speech, like Hardcore Henry. Cause they didn't is, put it in is the boy Twister lives on? Is the boy from the other perspective of Phantasm? See, that Sting is trying to reference uh, Phantasm Gallywand. <laughs> Did you get it? If I yeah, yeah, he's trying. If I said that to a little girl about dolls, do you think they'd start crying, or would they go, "No, idiot! Look, you can breastfeed it. Does a million things. Shut up. You can't breastfeed dolls." Look, I know what rounding up used to mean. <laughs> Back when I was around nine or ten, rounding up. But let's get off of the math and move on to some pros. <laughs> Kelly Wan, why don't you give the listeners a synopsis of Hardcore Henry? Maybe something that might be called a hard hopsis. <laughs> Officer That's Judy Hopps. That's what I was going to say. Is that name kind of works for last week? Remember how cool Judy Hopps was? Yeah, she was kind of similar to Hardcore Henry, too. Uh, <laughs> She's tenacious. Just they were like both her. pretty unflappable, I guess. Yeah. And, yeah, that's what I'm saying. See, they have the same partner. <laughs> kind of. You kept dying. Fox kept dying. No. Rounding up. Look, I know what words mean vaguely. All right. Do you have any questions about the Opsis? Uh, yes. My question is, when does it start? Now... <laughs> Hardcore Hopsis. Tim Roth calls me a pussy, so... (laughs) (laughs) Tim Roth, in the the credits, Tim Roth has a dialect coach. (laughs) No way, Dick. That's awesome. Well, that guy earned his key. Real quick, Dingus, give us your Tim Roth impression. No. None of the Reservoir Dogs line, where he where he's kind of slips into his accent. He's your fag, all right? No, no, no. That's not Tim Roth. When he says, motherfucker, I was going to watch Lost Boys. <laughs> when you say that, I th- at first I thought you were like quoting someone from like Easter Promises or something with, about Russians. <laughs> but yeah, that's Tim Roth's L.A. accent uh, getting a little confused on the way to the to the end of the sentence. <laughs> From Reservoir Dogs. I am sorry. Yes, Russian Reservoir Dogs. No, but Dingus is uh, like if you listen to that line, it really is like he doesn't quite know what to do with his mouth. So when you do an imitation of him, it sounds like you're doing a Russian. Yeah. When people talk in weird accents in movies, I always just go, "Oh, that's because they're from somewhere weird or something." Like the character is. I never go, "Oh yeah, it's stupid actor." I'm pretty sure, Mister, is he Mister Pink? Actually, no, no, no. That's no, Buscemi. That's Buscemi. Mister Orange. What color? He's orange. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Mr. Orange is American through and through. At least he's written that way. I guess. Yeah. Like when Arnold and the Terminator talk dumb, I go, oh, it's because he's from the future, so his voice chips, they're not, they're not as good in the future. I love how few movies try to even fuss with explaining his accent. It's just like, you know what, he's Schwarzenegger, we're not going to explain it to you, you're expecting it by now, here. <laughs> oh, he's talking like Conan because it's 12,000 years ago. He's a kindergarten cop. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's stu- he got left back at kindergarten. There's that there's that movie called uh, is it not Maggie. What is it? Maybe it is Maggie. Rounding down. Where um, uh, uh, Abby, Abigail Breslin plays a girl who's been bitten and is turning into a zombie slowly, 
in in the Midwest, and he's a farmer in the Midwest, and he's her, her father, and he's watching her slowly turn into a zombie. Uh, and I don't think they ever mention why he there's this beefy Teutonic guy <laughs> doing farming in Omaha or whatever it is that it takes place. They're just like, yeah, here he is, you know, you know he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. We've cast him. Suck it, you know. Oh yeah, I wanted to see that for that reason. Yeah. Like that made it sound intriguing to me. Well, the great thing about it is that he, I mean, he's. I think I've mentioned this before. He's clearly out of his depth with the role that they're trying to give him, but it absolutely works for the idea of just a farmer who's watching his daughter die. I mean, it's almost a parable for like cancer and kids in a way. Like he brings her home from the hospital. Basically, she's terminally ill, and he just doesn't. You know, he's not equipped to deal with this kind of thing. Just like Arnold Schwarzenegger as an actor, he's not equipped <laughs> to deal with that kind of performance. And there's a beautiful sort of a uh, inadvertent. Uh, like it, it kind of works in a weird way. Uh, I plant alfalfa sprouts. I did not realize I need to harvest my data so soon. Very good. <laughs> the dialogue's a little more naturalistic, but you have the right idea. I see he's the Grim Reaper too, and interpretation of events. All right, let's like go back to Tim, Tim Roth calling you names. Let's go take two. Care about what did he call you? The pussy. <laughs> Dingasov. <laughs> Pussy. Wait, what's the movie where someone says it like that? Isn't it a James Bond? Don't be Pussy. such a pussy. Pussy galore. I... Uh, maybe. <laughs> Pussy. Pussy galore. Hardcore hopsis. Tim Roth calls me a pussy after some kids break my spaceship. A blonde girl on a plane lets water out of a tank. As I'm wondering what type she screws, she screws some limbs onto me and also some tattoos that represent something. She gives me a wedding ring and tells me she's a scientist. While I spend a few minutes trying to decide whether she's the Spectre Girl, she introduces me to a <laughs> dumb guitarist friend. <laughs> Is that just me? Am I the only one who was thinking about it? Just because I'm used to when someone's in a movie, they're suddenly in every movie, like, yeah, oh, they're really hot right now. So then you just see the shit out of them, and then they, then Jay Courtney goes away again. <laughs> Sam Worthington. Ram down our throats. That's why I was really surprised when Affleck kind of stuck. It's like, oh, we're stuck with Affleck. Which one, Casey Affleck or Ben? Mm, to me, I know you're a Casey apologist. You bet I am. Both of them. You just from Jesse James. I did. No, no, no. From lots of uh, no, from lots of things. How dare you? And uh, actually, I like Killer Inside Me. That's where I decided I liked him. Of course, if you go back and watch his earlier stuff, where you thought you didn't like him, I bet you will like him. The yeah. one where he walks really slow in the desert is boring. Well, that's Gus Van Sant's fault. It is. He directed well, the movie. He decided, hey, let's make a movie where Casey and Matt just walk around in the desert. But he's great in um, Goodwill Hunting. He's really great in it, and that's those three dudes too. Casey Affleck is in Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, he's one of the he's one of his little crew, and he doesn't have a lot to do, but he's really great in it. Man, I should see this movie at some point. You won't like no. it, but it's not for you, Tom. Not for you, Tom. <laughs> okay. Oh, right. While I spend a few minutes trying to decide whether she's the Spectre Girl. She introduces me to her dumb guitarist friend, Robbie, and some other guy without a name. who seems pretty cool. Suddenly, Crispin Glover's a telekinetic albino. He busts in and says stuff, so my wife plays loud music to scare him and his 20 gunmen long enough for me to shut a door. They bang on the other side and argue about how to open it in Russian. 
I hold down crouch and crawl through some run spaces, then get into an escape from New York pod and take it to a freeway. On the way down, my scientist wife smiles at the sight of the clouds like this is great. She's never done this before. I look over at the joystick standing in the seat beside me and go, she's not the Spectre one. Her rack's more subdued. Some guys in black vans had a feeling all this would happen and where my character would land, so they all park effortlessly in the middle of the freeway to come out and laugh at me. <laughs> Who do these assholes think they're dealing with? They taser me and I fall 50 feet, but luckily a car hood and some asphalt break my fall. I toggle to stealth mode and watch dudes shoot each other till Charlotte Copley shows up and also shoots them. Since he produced the movie, I raise my hands in supplication. As he takes me for a drive through Russia, he shows me a machine with my name on it that charges his car battery using my nipples and some prongs. <laughs> some cops try to shoot us for being dumb, but Charlto <laughs> tricks them by driving off. They trick him back by shooting him. I crash into a tree and steal a purse from a woman that probably has clothes and running shoes my size inside. Then I park her through a subway station. The parkour? Parkour through a subway station. Parker through a subway station. Statham. <sighs> I get on a bus. Charlto Copley's a bum now. He had a hunch all this would happen. Exposition mules may be lame at staying alive, but they're awesome at knowing where mute protagonists are. He uses pliers to take some annoying bones out of my wrist while other people on the bus yawn and watch. Then he makes fun of a gay person's jacket, so the guy sets him on fire. While I'm grieving silently over Charlotte's burning body, he calls me and tells me to kill a guy and bring his heart to a brothel. I reply by inverting my mouse and remapping fart to my ass. I trick the black van guy parked nearby by shrugging when asked for a cigarette and the bad guy forgetting everything that just happened and not noticing my tattoos or wounds or weapons or helmet cam or name of the movie. I accept a building's bluff by climbing up it. The guy I need to kill tries to trick me by somehow having tied himself to a chair right before my arrival, then by running around, then stopping abruptly and going, hey, I got to tell you something. It's uh, more exposition. His head gets shot off. He's all, never mind. I open up his chest, which is surprisingly easy considering. His heart's a key ring wrapped in butcher's paper. Finally, shit's starting to make sense. I go to a Russian brothel. This place is so kinky, one guy's even pretending to be a car. I look over at Yakov Shmirnov sitting beside me and go, bet you got something to say about that. I find out which loud, wacky-faced characters Charlto this time. <laughs> when I hear one prostitute go, I'm not going back inside that one. It's destroyer class. Oh, right. Of course. Right. Okay, I get it now, Dingus. <laughs> See? I look over at Olga Kurilenko sitting beside me and go, <laughs> In Battleship, the destroyer was the medium-sized one <laughs> with three holes. But in the movie Battleship, they dispensed with the other four ships. Plot-wise. <laughs> she doesn't say anything. Suddenly, I'm dying from a change in cinematographers. Luckily, Charlotte does some blow, and the prostitutes make cooing noises. It's like that part of Holy Grail where Michael Palin stumbles across <laughs> the hot <laughs> Same kind of music, like harps. Then he bails because he's got to go do guy stuff. Some characters show up at the bordello and start shooting the prostitutes for no reason, so Charlotte does some more blow and marches off nakedly to, quote, hold them off. 
I do stuff, then walk into a scene with a motorcycle sidecar alongside a stoner Charlotte and start chain gunning vans full of strangers on a freeway. I feel just like Affleck's Batman. Except with better style. They're not that different. When I wake up, I have bumblebee eyes and I'm being buried alive. But luckily, another Charlto shows up with a blonde girl and shoots them. Then he blows weed on me and has sex till a tank comes and blows him up. The blonde girl loses interest and falls asleep. I trick the tank gunners by killing them. Then a helicopter comes, but I use my knife to fall 100 feet into some bushes. Charlto calls again. He's all, hey, turn around. I turn around. The nearest tree stands up. It's Charlto. Into the phone he's holding, he goes, hi. Eventually, we both hang up. He tells me he's taking me to his, quote, lab. (laughs) Once we're inside it, since he looks down at the floor, I wipe dirt onto my feet from his welcome mat. To explain the movie's plot, and since this is a video game movie, Charlotte does a bunch of dance numbers with costume changes and sings a song about dermatology to show me that he's lively. Then he shows me a YouTube video of the albino breaking his back for making a cyborg army. (laughs) Charlotte's all, and that's how the earth cooled. By the way, you're a traitor. He claps me to it. What? He... He clamps me. He clamps me to a chair and starts acting dumb since the albino's guys are attacking. But I make him my friend again by throwing a knife into his hand. To prevent the albino's clones from destroying the lab, we blow up the lab. When I wake up, I'm in an elevator, and Charlotte is telling me it's his last scene. Then a mob from Clockwork Orange attacks me on a rooftop. Luckily, they're only using their hands and coming one at a time really slowly, like it follows, while I have grenades and guns and adrenaline power-ups. Plus, they can't fight. My wife and the albino show up. Turns out they're an item. Big surprise. He tells me pussy's a motivator and smells her panties. I knew there was something fishy up with those. Then he kicks me without killing me for some reason and gets to a helicopter someone's flying. I have a flashback of Tin Roth telling me I'm a motivator. This wakes me up enough to wrap barbed wire in my fist. It turns out barbed wire is immune to telekinesis. I sprain the albino's finger. Then, since I've had just about enough of him opening his yap for one day, I use the wire to make sure his mouth stays open forever. Then I double jump onto the helicopter and confront my love's so-called interest. For some reason, I let her shoot me a bunch of times. Then she's all, how could you do this to me? I wipe some blood off the wall and using my finger right E2. Let her figure it out. <laughs> Come back. She shoots me some more, but dumbly aims for the wedding ring, which is naturally bulletproof. One hits her in the jugular, just like Charlto and the girl in the woods and Robbie and the robot in the first scene. She mistakes the open doorway for a chair and falls through it. <laughs> I try to save her, but fail. <laughs> then the game crashes. The end. <laughs> Jeez. Expected. But all right. Was that the first uh, synopsis we've had in first person? That can't be right. No, I. I, I never hear them. I can't remember. 
Did you do? Did you do the Into the Void synopsis? Yeah, the first episode. It's not. It's Enter the Void. It's yeah. Enter the Void. That's what I just said. <laughs> um, Tom did a first person there, correction. Wait, I don't think there was an Enter the Void synopsis because it was on my top ten list, and then we talked about. And then we it. Oh, you, do it. Did we do it? Oh, we did. Okay. Yeah. Right, Welcome to the podcast, Kelly. <laughs> Uh, I feel bad because Dingus, I think, got sick seeing this movie. <laughs> no offense. I mean, I hope his health's improved. Your compassion is overwhelming. Well, no, because I read there were people getting sick and walking out of it. Oh, I wondered about that. Like, I wondered, is it just because Dingus is, like, weird and oversensitive? You know, he also sn- – I got sick, too. Did oh, you did? Dingus oh. is weird and oversensitive? Well, you also sneaked alcohol into the theater. I thought maybe you were just drunk. Maybe you drank a little too much, and that, that was – I had five white Russians and saw this. In the, oh, wait. No, that was the night before. Disregard. What did you yep. sneak? But what did you have to drink? <laughs> See? Underrated. But wait. <laughs> what? Never mind. Uh, no, he, he sneaked a beer, which I actually thought was pretty cool. Like, uh, he... That uh, made him sick? No, I'm just joking. Um, mm. Because watching, I know some people complain about first-person perspectives and or for shaky cam stuff and found footage things and... Mm. Uh, and so Kelly, one, you also the the it was a little tough for you to take as well, or it was the I was really hungover, um, but I did get a little queasy during the scene during the shootout right before they blow up the lab. I guess that's when I was like, Ugh. I mean, I wonder if if they had to pace it to make sure to put uh, more calm non-action scenes in there, like if that was part of the calculation for putting this movie together was, okay, we can't have the camera jerking around constantly, so at times we have to make something happens where the camera holds steady for a little bit. I don't yeah, know. I mean, I mean, I got, I felt, I had, I felt like I had vertigo when I saw Gravity and Dark Knight, and I liked it both times. Like, oh, it's really, the movie's affecting me so much I feel like I'm going to puke. That's really good filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Like, I genuinely <laughs> liked it. So I kind of was sort of thinking that here, maybe a little. So Dingus, did this just kick in at the end? Because it was afterwards that I realized Dingus was like super nauseated. Was it? Was this during the uh, movie as well, Dingus? Oh, it was. It was. Um, gosh, when did it start to kick in? Oh, it started to kick in in that in that parkour bit uh, after uh, that that moment where he gives the cop the light. You know, he's like, "Oh, that's light. really early." Why do you have wow. Wow. Yeah. And he takes it, and then he starts. A lot happens after that. And then he does do well. I I just mitigated it. I mean, he he climbs oh. the building. He's doing that whole like parkour thing, you know, the 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 little bit of a jump puzzle, and he mi- he misses one of his jumps, and he kind yeah. of dangles for a second. Um, but it, it, the, all those cuts were so quick um, that I I just had to be careful, and, and I had to look away at certain points. And wow, I, I'm not going to close my eyes during these movies because I'm you know I want to review them for the podcast. But it really didn't it didn't get bad until the final. Um, the man final fight. fight with all of the uh, it's the man fight is what I call it. It's just man fight. They're just yeah, it's like rainy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. But I like the way that Kelly put it <laughs> as the um as the fight from uh, Orange King. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I couldn't I couldn't watch a lot of that. I mean, it was it's just it was just too much for me. And I, and I'm you know, I mean, the, the beginning of this movie that that uh that I mean, it, I, I I have to say I, I really did like this a lot. Um. Uh, even though it, it it's not something I would ever want to watch again because it it did make me pretty 
it was difficult to watch. Speaking of Clockwork Orange, Dingus, we're going to strap you to a chair and put those little eye-open things on you that Malcolm McDowell has to wear, and we're going to make you watch this movie over and right. over again. Bring a bucket. <laughs> Um, but I, I just remember the first time one of uh, I, I have this friend, uh, a friend of ours, uh, Aaron Kane, who uh, who convinced me. This is before I met you, Tom, uh, to get the movie Half Life, and uh, and I and I, that's the first one of the first games I played on my computer. Um, and I remember oh. just being totally disoriented. You said, I, I, so, Dingus, you, you act, you, it's a minor thing, but you misspoke. You said he convinced you to get the movie Half-Life. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's come full circle now, so fair enough. Well, exactly. But that moment where um, the albino dude, when uh, what, what's his the name? Briefcase Alka, guy. Uh, breaks into the room where, where she's trying to put the voice module in and something goes horribly wrong and everything goes dark and oh, the guys are coming in. reminded me of the beginning of Half-Life where something goes horribly wrong. And this is the first time this happened. And I remember getting a little bit like, oh my gosh, I've never had this sensation before of playing a game like this. And then it started to happen again once we started playing games. I think the, the time it really affected me if, is if we played um, a, a multiplayer game on a, on the console and it was four player scripts, uh, split screen. And I would, and my brain would start to go, whoa, what's going on here? Um, and so yeah, that, that happened to me, uh, at a few times during this movie and it was really difficult to handle. And do you guys remember Blair Witch putting up warnings about that when Blair Witch was out? Yeah, it was before found yeah. footage was really a thing. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Wan, Dingus even, uh, gets nauseated when we play, um, Settlers of Catan. <laughs> <laughs> on the tabletop? Yeah, yeah. That's for a really. different reason, yeah. <laughs> I was nauseated too, Dingus, before I saw the movie, so my apologies for making it. It was more like the sadness of... So I smuggled, I smuggled a beer in, you smuggled your alcohol in, in your bloodstream. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. like, like Magneto. Oh, no, like the guard that Mystique... The good x movie. Yeah. Yes. See, see, I know my comic book stuff, you guys. So, Tom, this didn't – it doesn't have any effect on you at all? Uh, well, I, so I didn't get a lot of sleep last night and felt a little queasy, but I'm pretty sure it's just from, like, sleeplessness. But no, I was I, I was a little uneasy at times and thinking, am I – is it because of the movie? But no, I don't think so. I can understand, though – like, I, I can understand this has got to be a huge issue for, for some people. Um, and even watching it, I was thinking, this is a bit much, isn't it? Uh as far as just the jerkiness and the first-person perspective, like imagine this on IMAX. Yeah, yeah. absurd. I, <laughs> like that would be. It just, sounds like a challenge. It does. It really does, doesn't it? And yeah. You have to see it really bomb. You have to see it on five white Russians. Yeah, uh, sit the third row. No, even if it. I hadn't had one single beer, um, which you know I'm not a total lightweight. Uh, Seeing it on even the idea of seeing it on IMAX makes me a little queasy. I mean, it, yeah, just and, the word and again, IMAX. I like this movie. I liked it a lot. Um, uh, I, I particularly liked seeing with Tom and hearing him laugh so joyously at so many moments in it. Well, I don't know if he really liked it. It's but... a great comedy, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would also say a great action movie. Like, uh, not, yeah, not like, I, like not like Die Hard Aliens, great, but definitely just. No. I mean, my, you know my over under. By the way, I'll just get to that because I think this is clearly what it is. It, I, I'm not as big a fan of the crank movies as Kelly Wand is, but those are hugely deliriously hyper energetic over-the-top action movies, uh, and I enjoy them, and I enjoy this way more than Crank. What I didn't quite enjoy this as much as, uh, this was a fantastic vehicle for Charlotte Copley, though, by the way. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, you're so right. You're so it right about fine. that. 
But unfortunately, he's so poorly used in Elysium. Yeah, yeah. Oh, in so many movies, yeah. But yeah. unfortunately, um, it was that's pretty much kind of all it was as far as characters. So one of the things I really enjoyed about Shoot 'Em Up is that, <laughs> that Clive Owen, Monica Bellucci, Paul Giamatti all have great parts. You know, it's not oh, just yeah. a gimmick. It's that crazy, over-the-top stuff, but with a lot of character-driven stuff and a great villain. So for that reason, I would put Shoot 'Em Up slightly over this. Because it had more meaningful characters for me. But that same delirious hyper action uh, set piece stuff. Like I just fantastic work in this and those movies, I think. I put I put Crank as my under too. Um, yeah, I bet it's Kelly's over. Uh, and but my over <laughs> is London has fallen. Um, it, in because of that whole that whole thing that we talked about with video games. Um, in that level where he's going down the street, he's going around and then it, and it switches into stealth mode. Um, so, uh, I would put London has fallen over this and Frank under like you did. Well, it really is uh, amazing. Uh, it, and we're all more or less video gamers here. But it's amazing how it has come full circle and has how video games were for so long cribbing from movies. And now movies are just like, well, yeah, well, let's, you know, movies are such direct nods now to video game tropes. And this movie, I don't know for sure. I mean, I know the guy who did this movie had done an, uh, like a YouTube short using this conceit. Oh, he'd done a short film that was on YouTube using this conceit. I don't know if he literally was a gamer. Um, but there are just so many games. I would assume. Yeah, there's so many game specific tropes in here. Um, yeah. And that's something that I think really works for it is like there's some really good timing in this movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like it's yeah. not just yeah. like if you read reviews about it, they go yeah violent violent uh, and that's all they talk about but it's like if you compare this to other movies that are similar and my under is the doom movie which has a first person sequence but, but it's just <laughs> yeah it's just yeah like most of the movie isn't that it's just like here here's for you guys who play yeah, yeah. we're gonna put this in here this is yeah. it's all you get so shut up <laughs> yeah but in this, there's just, just there's joyousness to it, and there's a, it's pretty challenging to keep that to make all the sequences sort of different from each other, and for that to not become tedious. And I actually didn't think it did. I thought it was pretty impressive, like how they kind of kept it going. Well, part of it too, and I meant to watch the trailer before we recorded, I didn't. But there's this great sort of like, you know, what the fuckness about about things as they're happening. Like when Charlotte Copley first died. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, so they just got him for a cameo. Man, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then when he comes I back, too. I was like, well, wait a minute. How are you guys going to explain this? What's going on? And, you know, you, yeah. I think you pick up on what's going on before they actually have to explain it. But uh, Right. But that's a video game thing, too. Right. And, 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 and it also does sustain it. <laughs> and, and this whole stuff about – and they never explain, too, like why there's a telekinetic guy. But No, you don't care. <laughs> yeah, some that's of the – So I love that. Yeah, it's so sort of ridiculous. And it doesn't need to be explained. But – Oh. They do need to explain stuff about, you know, Charlotte Copley's character is the big reveal and what he does mm-hmm. and that awesome conceit where he moves around to different bodies and they collapse and yeah. the oh. playfulness of that musical number. No, I love this. I thought this was fantastic. Yeah. 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 Well, for me, the, the what the fuckness begins with, a, to borrow your term, Tom, um, and, and also to, to pay uh, respect to what Kelly's talking about as far as the violence and it, this being a comedy in a way. It, it begins with the opening credits and how like like the that whole thing with the brick going into somebody's head and that knife that the goes into so one good. side of the, the guy's neck yeah, yeah, and, it goes yeah. out of, and you're just like oh my god oh my gosh and yeah. and what the director is doing is going this is the kind of violence I'm going to be showing you 
I'm not going to hide it from you, and I'm not going to surprise you with it. This is what you can expect for the yeah. entire movie. Yes. This and is fun to you. Settle in. If it's not, get out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is exactly the case, Kelly. And that's in, 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 at the beginning, when they do that at the beginning, in the credits, when he's doing that, and he's especially that jagged knife going through one side of the neck yeah. and then going over the other in this, in this sort of weird parody almost of a James Bond. Yeah, yeah, of a James Bond opening music sequence, and mm-hmm. I could he- even hear Tom going, "Oh, what? Ah!" I mean, the the ways yeah. the ways that Tom was like reacting to this movie was one of my favorite things about watching this movie. Oh, well, you, man. you also don't know, like I I didn't know because I didn't even know if it, I didn't know it was an R-rated movie. And those, the moment those credits, I'm re- those credits are rolling, I'm realizing, yeah, we're getting an R-rated movie because I would have <laughs> yeah. assumed. They would make something PG-13 to get the kids out. No, they didn't care at all. I mean, this was another Deadpool kind of thing. Like, yeah. we're not, we're, you know, we don't, we're going to, well, Deadpool, way more than Deadpool, but they're like, we're going to take advantage of our R rating like you wouldn't believe. And when they go, by the way, when they go into a strip club, even at that point, I was like, oh, great. Because when you go into a strip club in a PG-13 <laughs> movie, everybody's got on clothes and stuff. And the fact that there's like topless chicks just hanging around for scenes. Yeah. And just casually too. Like she's yeah. just walking in and lead him back to Jimmy. All right. I will. Yeah. Not titillation. It's not even you sexy. Know, it's just yeah. like, yeah, come on back. So this is the world dude. Yeah. What? Yeah. Like it was a real brothel. <laughs> Kaida. So what was your over Kelly? Um, my over was Kung Fu Hustle. Just because it, oh. it was another movie that takes place in a day where no, this lame choice. No, I mean I, it's not lame. I just what's his name? Oh, that's right, your day thing. Yeah, yeah, it had the one day thing, and it kind of is just like um, a main character doesn't talk much, but you still kind of like Hardcore Henry. I kind of sort of got into his character by the way he fought. I'm really into that. Like where um, maybe I've talked about it before, but like Kill Bill, like. Uma Thurman's character is really skinny, like she's lean of flesh, and so that affects how she's able to like dodge knives really easily, I think. And so Hardcore Henry had that kind of he's really good at moving backwards. <laughs> so. Well, it's just the parkour. I mean, they're you you know yeah. called Mirror's Edge, I presume, but just that. But he has good hearing. He has good instincts. Yeah. Um, he can do a sniper mission. He can do an S yeah. mission. He can do a like- boss battle. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he fucks up sometimes a little bit, so he has to he has to switch weapons and rethink stuff, and so you kind of like see his mental processes going. And so I don't know, it, it just it, like the timing to me was a character in the movie, and, and Kung Fu Hustle was another example of that. So like, Stephen like, Chow is that his Chow. name? Stephen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stephen uh, yeah. Chow movies where it's like, it, they're comedies, but they're it's all action. I mean, they're actually they're comedies disguised as action movies, and that's what I think this is too. Because I was cackling like a maniac, and I was, and I felt sick as dingus too. But I was still like, this movie's great. It's so good. It like kind of cheered me up. Uh, there are very few movies where I will tolerate a Wilhelm scream, and this is one of them. <laughs> they, when they threw in the Wilhelm scream, I was like, you know what? You guys have earned that. I'll give you that. Fine. That's that's cool with me. Wait, what's a Wilhelm scream? So a Wilhelm scream is from an old western. Uh, that uh, and and if I were to play it for you, you would definitely know what it sounds like. But there's an old western, I guess, in the 50s or whatever, where a dude gets shot in the butt by an arrow, uh, and he just makes this whoa kind of noise. It's not even like a scream. It's just like a it's a it, it's really distinct. Uh, like Tyrese in Fast and Furious. No, it's I can't do it. My my I'm incapable of doing it. But uh, hmm. uh, my, I've talked about it before in, in Death Proof when they have the that wreck where, where uh, Kurt Russell kills the chicks. Tarantino is such a 
doofus and he throws a Wilhelm scream into there. Did uh, you almost say tool just then? Uh, I did, but uh, the, my latest tool is Rod Lurie for doing uh, the Straw Dogs. <laughs> That's may, right. I don't want to overuse the term. Rod Lurie's a tool. Tarantino's a doofus. Um, right. <laughs> uh, but it, it basically, it's it's an inside joke, and uh, lots of movies do them. I mean, there's even a Star Wars movie with a Wilhelm scream. Uh, so in this movie, it's when he throws a grenade down a staircase, and the body pops straight up. Oh my gosh. That uh, was so funny. Uh-huh. It's accompanied it was by like Raiders. Uh, it's accompanied by a Wilhelm scream. And Remember then, in Raiders where he kicks the guy's head off screen, knees a dude in the face, and then the hat flies up in the submarine in Raiders Lost Ark? Yeah. Kind yeah, when, he's, when, he, when he has to put the new clothes on, and the yeah. first guy he chooses is too small. Yeah, I love that joke because it's somehow more violent than if they'd showed a knee to the face. Right. In Raiders. But a Wilhelm scream is a well-known bit of audio that. Oh, oh, that's what. Okay. It's not even what. Yeah, it's not the one like. Th- there's a scream in video games that you hear when somebody like falls down a chasm, and for the longest time I thought that was a Wilhelm scream, but it's not that one. Uh, again, if I could play it for you, you would definitely know it. But it really does sound like a. It's more like a woohoo than a than an actual scream. So that's and another it, video game trope in the movies. No, no, it's definitely a movie trope. It's definitely a movie trope. Yeah, it definitely is. In my, in my brain, I always see it as is that monk. Uh, thing I don't know why I see it as that, but maybe it's just because it's titled the scream. Is a what the what thing dingus? Isn't it the isn't it monk who does the who has the the scream? Oh, like, monk. No, uh, you might be mistaking it for the one I think that uh, there's a really cool like sound library scream. And in my three by three, I was very disappointed to go back and see an old movie and hear that sound library scream, which does kind of sound like the Edvard Munch painting like what you might expect right the wilhelm scream nothing like the wilhelm scream would be more like something from home alone okay all right <laughs> and that does have some continuity of the edvard Munch painting but in a different way yeah wait the home alone kid doesn't scream either he just no okay. but imagine like joe pesci like sitting on a tack you know that would be <laughs> the sound that it would be like yeah. everybody screams in that movie it's a sc- movie about people screaming uh, what, I have a question that uh, you guys might be able to answer. So this is basically the Charlotte Copley show. I'm fine with that. Um, but what happened to those sword chicks? Like I think one of them was on the motorcycle that got trashed. First of all, who were they, and and they got killed in the car chase? One of them got killed in the forest. Isn't that one of them? That was, was that one of those chicks? I'm not sure because I thought that yeah. was – A new one? That was one of those chicks. Yeah. I thought that was a hippie chick. No, I, I, I think it's there's two of them, and right. and there's this weird thing that the movie does. And I'm glad you brought this up, Tom. Um, there's this weird thing that the movie does, and I think it's very knowing. And I'm interested to see what you guys think about this. That has this sort of nod toward misogyny and homophobia, but I think it's understanding the way first person shooters sometimes do this kind of a thing. And those two women, uh, and the way they were sort of used in that sort of uh, sometimes it's just it's best just to say yes and then they're sort of disposed of um I'm, i don't know where they they end up i think they're just disposed of well when he falls on a motorcycle it's one of the chicks on the motorcycle right because they yeah. have their own motorcycle mm-hmm. he falls on the motorcycle it gets rammed from behind presumably she gets killed yeah i think so okay and, uh, then, and then she gets then killed and crashes it, and he's fine she gets killed in the blast of the drone or whatever he, wherever he gets bombed. She gets killed with a piece of shrapnel. 
I think that's supposed to be the tank shot. Like I was wondering too. Oh, they're shelling artillery. That's the tank reveal. Well, that's yeah. That's their idea of how a tank fires. Which again, it's it creeps up on you. That's fine with me. Uh, Yeah, tanks. You can't hear those two women on the. She is one of those two women who are one of them, and she transfers the katana to him because she's the one with the katana. In oh, you're right, Dingus. Yeah, settlers of katana. Nope, Kelly Wan. I'm not going to accept that reference. It makes no sense. No bluff. But 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 isn't there sort of the, this movie having an understanding of the casual misogyny or homophobia? And why do you call it misogyny or homophobia? I'm not clear. Uh, I mean, because they're just disposable characters. Because I, I I don't think that having just a couple of disposable women necessarily implies misogyny. Yeah, because there's a million disposable men. Well, no, having a, a bunch of women just flapping their breasts about with no other purpose. We're in a brothel. We're in a brothel. <laughs> yeah. That's the point that I'm making right now. So if now. you have a Bravo in a movie, if you have a Bravo in a movie, it's misogynist. No, but in the way that first-person shooters sometimes work in that regard, that that women are, we're going to show some breasts and then uh, we're going to get rid of them in in due in due course. Right. I, I don't and think then we have a couple of gay jokes. And, All right, you didn't get into then, Half-Life very and, far. And then there and then there is the that 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 line, which I think is very purpose. Purposeful that, like sometimes you just have to say yes to them. It's it's this nod toward this is how we treat women. But I think the movie is knowing about that. Nah, because I don't think that, that. I think you're you're accusing video games of something that's really not there. Like, video you don't games, think if you don't think movies, video so. games have any misogyny or homophobia. There's no women. I'm not in saying they don't have any. I'm just saying that's not a common thing in first person shooters. That's uh, the least yeah. of their issues. There's no way. No, they're they're mainly male power fantasies that's, and. Kind of uh, and, and they've come these days, by the way, contemporary video games, especially in the West, are way are, are, are very sensitive to that kind of thing. But Gamergate, uh, that's the office. Well, not even that. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about these days, women in video games are like Ellie and Left Behind. Uh, they're like Laura right. Croft in the Tomb Raider reboot. Yeah. Like women in video games are really given – the, the industry is doing a great job with, with strong, uh, well-developed female characters. Um, now, Dingus, there was – there were types of video games. There's a company called 3D Realms that would do games called like Shadow Warriors and Duke Nukem, and there would be like strippers and you could throw money right. at them and stuff. But that was that was just a very specific thing to that studio. That was not at all uh, a, a quality that's common in video. And it saw it as parody. But you don't think that the, the movie is making any nod toward that kind of culture in the video game industry? Not right now. I'm, I accept because I don't know. I don't know the video game industry the way you do. But I don't. Uh, I think. I think, and this is why I asked. I think it just in, introduces a couple of awesome female chicks and or female chicks, whatever the kind are. They? A couple of awesome female characters, and then just doesn't know what to do with them, and they get killed, and it's not. And a then big disposes team. of them. Like, but it does that with every single character. With everybody, in the yeah. Besides and the main villain. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I thought the movie was making a knowing nod toward that, as, as well as that 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 bit about. Um, uh, that's the gayest jacket I've ever seen. And oh, by the way, uh, there's there's something about guys who like musicals. I just want to say that I'm, you know, I'm straight as an arrow. Uh, I think that it, I think it was making I think it was making a nod to those types of things without making it over, without making it overbearing or preachy. Yeah, because I, I admit, as a guy who's really into opera, I thought that was funny. Like I, I liked that line. Yeah, I thought it was funny too, but uh, I think the movie knew what it was doing in that point. And I don't think there's a mis- I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it understands its audience and it understands kind of what it's making fun of a little bit. I think it's it's poking fun at at, at this this whole idea. You don't see any of that. 
Nah, I just saw, sort of saw an easy joke because I really don't think right. I mean, it's sort of unfair to characterize. As far as if you, it's a nod towards video games. I don't think that's a fair characterization. I'm not saying all video games are like that, Tom. I'm saying that there's a there's a classic idea of 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 women showing up in video games as they have in movies and just flapping their breasts about and then getting disposed. What of. video games are these? Because I don't know. I, I don't. Video games are, are notoriously shy about sexuality. I mean, there's there are very few video games, Dingus, where you actually see a nipple. Uh, okay. There, there's some weird Japanese strains of video gaming, but in the I thought West, the Grand Theft Auto movie uh, nope, games were nope, were well known for that. Nope. They are known for people being told that you kill hookers in them. Uh, and the very the most recent one, Grand Theft Auto V, which is after the series has been around for you know a decade or so, uh, did have a strip club where there would be topless women. Um, but otherwise, and also Grand Theft Auto it has its own issue with female characters in that it absolutely doesn't care about them, and that's kind of a rock star thing. I wouldn't characterize that as misogyny. It's just they're telling dude stories. Um, right, so but no, then I, it, it, I'm willing to allow that I'm wrong about that. It was just. But, the it's connection games, I made from from hearing things. So. Games historically have been super shy about nudity because they get dinged so often for violence, and they've been so often seen as stuff for kids. Um, well, so well, there's sort of nothing breasts about. I don't mean nudity. I mean just women like huge breasts running on, and then we're done with you. I mean whether it's nude or not. Right, so and that's I, I allow that I that I'm wrong about this. I mean, and that's no, and, and that that I agree. With, I mean, but that's no different than any media. That's no different than comic books or fantasy movies, or and that yeah, video games definitely. I think it's have, a genre movie thing more. Right, than but I just games. I I thought the movie was was, I thought this particular movie was was making a nod toward that and toward, uh, but I. Clearly, I don't know this. I don't know the the the. I don't know video games the way you guys do. So I'm willing to allow that I was wrong about that. It was just a take that I had on it. But it definitely was disappointing to me that we didn't get more out of these cool female characters who showed up. I wanted to watch them kick ass with a sword and fight alongside him, but the movie was mainly concerned with being the Charlotte Copley show, and I was okay with that. Well, uh, one's a turncoat, so she's the trickster. She's one of them's a turncoat. Well, it's quote. Oh, no, 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 oh, right, the femme fatale, though. Yeah, yeah, that. Right, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that part of the movie. I love. Yeah, the, I love the fact that there's there's none of this uh like the redemption of love that happens. And I can't yeah. tell you what movie that made me that reminded me of without spoiling the movie, but it's a certain thing with Sam Rockwell. <laughs> okay. Oh, confessions. <laughs> Just this idea that they are manipulating people by put basically. Giving them false memories of relationships. Ah, okay. Very um, good. And using good. it as a motivator. That's very good. I like that. Damn, I didn't even think about that. That's very good. So, spoiler. And recall. Oh, guys. Sharon Stone. But I, I love the I love the fact that she she's the she once we find out she's the bad guy, she's just the bad guy, and and he's not like oh I'm so in love with you than this, and she's not. Like swayed by oh this is the one clone that I love or not clone but you know what I mean uh, this is the he's so special that this is going to change my course um, I love that it's it's just kind it's of totally carried enough. it's yeah. carried out throughout the movie and she's not redeemed and he's not going to save her and he's gonna, it's not that kind of movie his yeah. writing in blood easy because when he starts writing I'm like what what is he gonna do and when he just he, I mean it's just so flippant and and again yeah. just disregards so, any sort of emotional connection. It's just yeah. so superficial. And yeah, exactly. It's like a middle finger, uh, yeah. but it's more sly because it's in like text speak, uh, yeah. <laughs> written in blood. I loved that. That was, mm-hmm. that was great. I was, so 
we do see his face, right? Like, yeah, yeah. shards. And that's not Tim Roth, though. No, I don't think so. No, because yeah, yeah, Tim Roth was his father, right? Well, there's no, no one guy who plays this character. It's just a bunch of stuntmen and cameramen. I have no, no idea no, who that guy is in the narrative. In, though. in the fiction, Henry is remembering his father, right. Tim Roth's father, right? Right. I thought he was the robot, though, and that's why Charles. That's what I wondered as well. Is this? Yeah. Is this? The I, I, I expected loyalty from my robot. Doesn't he say something like that? But the thing about it being a robot, he's been he's been waiting for three years for this moment, and he gets Charlie fucking Chaplin. I mean, that's his joke. (laughs) That's his beginning. All right. Being a robot, because I was thinking too, Kelly Wand, like, oh, that robot is some super important device. Yeah. Which case, aren't we now watching from a third person perspective, and isn't the movie breaking the rules? But no, it was just one of his toys, and the Turkish army were seeing through his eyes constantly. Uh, I liked that. It was just to get him up at the end, because he needed to hear that flashback. <laughs> oh, crap. What's the, what's the bad Charlotte Copley robot movie? At least oh, oh, Chappie, Chappie. But, Chappie. Nice. But you can't really – I mean, he does motion ca- – well, I guess he's the voice, too, isn't he? <laughs> he's the voice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although you guys hated Chappie. I mean, I hated it, too. But I, I went in expecting it to be so awful after listening to you guys on the podcast. Uh-oh. Dingus. You no, no. Is, is I just got to enjoy – I watched a horrible movie, but I got to enjoy Charlotte Copley because I was expecting there to be no redeeming feature. But that's, that robot was just so, like, dumb and goofy, and Charlotte Copley was just so chipper and out of place doing it. Uh, <laughs> I forgive you, bad man. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. That was a poignant scene. Um. I'm sure I'm glad that mom lived. Okay, what? Uh, uh, Chappie, your favorite? (laughs) No. Uh, The moment, just little throwaway things. Here's where I might want to see it again. Uh, You guys did see, I think it's calculated to make sure people see this, but I'm wondering, are there other things I missed? When you see a little dog running away with a severed hand on a leash. That was great. That was so precious. I was like, what a fantastic sense of humor. Adorable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and how about this? How about the subtitles a bit? This is something that Chris yes. Mark- yeah. Markinson, Markinson brought this up. Is as and I forgot about it. That that overlayered subtitles bit where he's arguing with the girls. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yep, yep. Uh, did Chris Markinson like it? Did he say? I, yeah. How can you not like this movie though? Unless I think it's I can see like snooty critics not really being into it. But guy, I'm curious if ladies like it. Or it's just for guys. That's a good question, Kaiwan. Is it sort of like a dude? I want power? a woman's opinion. You know? I really wish I could have taken uh, Alexandra to see this because she knows Russian. I would have loved to hear oh. what, <laughs> what she would have said about it because there's so much of this movie that is in Russian. I mean, they land in Moscow, and there's a lot of Russian stuff that just happens. Well, even those thugs that they come across, like I mean, it's so it, it really is just aware of being in Russia. I mean, the guys. Yeah. Are, yeah. Um, have yeah. you guys ever seen? These YouTube videos, apparently traffic in Moscow, actually in cities throughout Russia, is really bad. So a lot of times cars will just drive on the sidewalk to get where they need to go. And there's a group of – they're not quite activists. They're, they're basically just being a-holes but for a righteous reason. They're guys that will sit on the sidewalk, will stand on the sidewalk, and when a car tries to do this, they'll get in front of the car and say, nope, go back, turn around. We're not letting you use this. This is for pedestrians. And then the thuggish Russians in the car will be like, yeah, screw you, and and they won't want to turn around. So the guys will take these giant big old – like it's the size of uh, like a beach ball, a big sticker that they apply on the car's windshield that says basically in Russian, I'm an asshole who drives on the sidewalks. 
<laughs> and it's one of those stickers that's really hard to get off. And they do they do YouTube videos of this. So they're mm. YouTube videos of the worst Russian a holes like getting into arguments with each other. Uh, mm. And it just highlights this stereotype we have, and that their leader certainly gives them of Russia as being a country full of just belligerent, th- belligerent thugs. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the scene where he comes across, where he steals the, the clothes from the, the guys who are just – do you cohort in lakes like that? I didn't know what was going on. They swim there. Uh, and then the thugs come up to him, and I was like, yeah, that's like those you – know, that's Russia right there. That's what we think of as Russia as being like. Yeah, that was wonderful. No, but for Chris, it, it didn't work for Chris Markinson at all, um, and, and he wonders if Aww. he's just too old to enjoy the movie. Ah, okay. So maybe it is. Uh, it takes youthful spirits like ours. Could well, he, said, he, he said the the end boss battle was way too long. I totally agree with him because I couldn't watch most of it, and it kept it kept one? wave after wave after wave. But I get I get the idea of what the movie is doing at that point. There's a there's the boss battle with the with what did you call it the the big dude Tom? How did you refer to that? Wilhelm like, scream. I don't know. No. no. Telekinetic boss battle. I don't like remember. the like the, the like the the first guy that albino throws at him. He's like, all right, I'll see you later, and he throws this huge guy in. The guy who steals. The- oh yeah, yeah, right, right. The henchman guy, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, from that on to all of the um, all of the all of that other stuff. It was so long for me to watch. So so that was the same is true for Chris. He loved Charlton Copley. Uh, but he, he wonders if he's too old. Oh, he also said that he thought the villain was a bad Andy Warhol cosplay. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very good. That is what that was like. Yeah, I like Kelly Wan's Crispin Glover, but it's not Crispin Glover. It's Crispin Glover's Andy Warhol. That's what was going on there. <laughs> I was just trying to sound young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do feel, too, like that, that uh, kind of the problem with that finale is – it had been outdone previously in the movie. I mean, it's kind of. Yeah. I mean, where do you go at that point? I guess. Well, I think you got to find an, an ingenious way to beat telekinesis, which, which I didn't understand, didn't? by the way. Yeah, yeah, I didn't either. But isn't that kind of a joke again about first-person shooters, where they, where we've done one thing and now we're just going to throw twice as many of that same thing at you? Mm, yeah, but. I mean, the movie had been so well paced at this point. It did flag for me also during the man fight. I mean, uh, I like because that thing tips over really slowly, and then it just—I don't know. I like how it just keeps going. I thought that was cool. I like the action sequences that go on for. But I think I think it keeps going on purpose. I think that's yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I like I mean, again, I don't know video games the way you guys do, but I but I've read a lot of Tom's reviews and whatnot, and I know that one of the complaints about like final boss battles is that we're just doing more of the same, but more of it. And I yeah. think that the, I thought the movie yeah. was doing that on purpose. It is the, the cheap thing with with final boss battles, and this I, I I almost wonder if he was aware of this or was playing with this. The cheap thing about a final boss battle is when you play a game, and there's a set of rules, and here's how you learn to navigate the game, and then you get to the boss battle, and it changes the rules. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought that's what was going to happen with the guy having telekinesis. But all he needed to do instead of it having like a glowing orange spot is he just had to remember his dad making him. You know, spurring him on to be tough. And telekinesis uh, doesn't work. So yeah, but he did the thing with the barbed and then he walked up the stairs of the dead bodies, which was really cool. Oh, that was cool. Yeah, yeah, it did, yeah. yeah. That, that's also I've seen in video games, like floating platforms, because video games don't have to deal with physics and stuff. And yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, that's I like how uh, Charlotte's motivation is that he worked for the guy. The the guy had a tant telekinetically and broke his back <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> 
Like, that's something they always do. Like, because that's what, it, like, people just drop in, like, flies for the whole movie. And it's like, the guy who's been dying for the whole movie repeatedly is upset because he got hurt one time in, like, what a random violent act. Kevin Wayne, did you just call a tantrum a tant? I thought he was going to say tant. Wait, tant's a new thing? I've never heard anyone call a tantrum a tant, but, you know, I'm, I don't do a lot of texting or whatever it is. Celebs say it all the up. time. So, on, so on was, Tinder. was Charles O'Copley's character, like, I, I didn't quite get that until later in the movie. It's, he's avatars for this dude in the wheelchair, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. He's like Worthington, brah. I don't, okay. I understand what Worthington means, but is that a thing in video games? Well, not really thing. I mean there have been some cool yeah it's, yeah it's, there have been some cool games where you like inhabit different characters but it's not a, a trope um okay I think That's it was just it, it was just a clever thing they came up with uh yeah I think all right because um, you know my favorite thing about this movie is is watching Charlton Copley just like flex his muscles I mean just, yeah just playing around and yeah yeah, yeah. Um, especially in the musical scene that musical scene under my skin I mean that was freaking great. Right, right. Uh, what um, uh, did you notice anything in Kelly One? You probably didn't because they were maybe in German. Do you notice any interesting names in the thanks dingus in the credits? There was one thing called like charltocopleyfans dot com. Oh, I, did. <laughs> I didn't see that. That's what I noticed, uh, but otherwise, no. He thanked was something that said Bonka in my. Yeah, yeah. There were there would be names underneath it, and uh, you may not have recognized the German word for Jared Leto, but he was in there. (laughs) There's a German word for Jared Leto. Yeah, I don't know what his name is in German, but that's probably why Kelly didn't recognize it. He also thanked a a guy named uh, Jeremy Saulnier, and you guys don't know who that is, but you will. You will. Thank you, Yoda. Green room? Yeah, he's the green room guy. So I love that he got thanked for whatever reason. Uh, in, uh, in I didn't I see green room instead of high rise. So I wonder, there will be time. It opens there in, uh, I think, in November in Germany. Will I really still be in this hellhole then? <laughs> uh, the I'm, thing I tell you about green room that I told Dingus, and this isn't a spoiler. Green room completely screwed up a three by three that we've done in the in the last few months. Any three by three that doesn't have green room of that topic is is moot. I basically need to go back and erase one of our three by threes because if it didn't have green room on it, it's invalid. And that's all I'll say. And when you guys see green room, green room, you'll know what I'm talking about. I hate you. I know, right? Right? Like I thought something. You Kelly one, I went the night it opened here. I mean, I had just I was so psyched to see it. I was so worried about something being spoiled. The 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 night it opened at a one p.m. A one a.m. show, I just like drove across town. I was like, you know what? This as soon as I can go, I'm I'm going tonight. Uh, yeah. Well, High Rise has shut up. I don't want to hear it. I'm going to see High Rise. <laughs> you know why I like High Rise is not what's it called? Not the tourists, uh, sightseers. Uh, ben Wheatley, uh, oh. I'm, not, I'm not crazy about Kill List or whatever it's called, but Sightseers, is, I think he's just brilliant. Yeah, I like Sightseers. Sightseers was mainly the, uh, and I can't wait, I can't remember her name. Uh, yeah. Shoot, the chick from uh, Garth Marenghi, right? Alice, yeah. Alice, shoot. I don't Whoa. know. I can't think of it. At any rate, so Ben Wheatley doing Sightseers, I mean, whatever 
the fact that he was able to tap into those that unique sense of humor that they had. Whatever he's doing in High Rise, I, I want to see. So that's a similar marriage to the hardcore Henry marriage in Sightseers. Uh, by the way, the ending of both movies, Sightseers and uh, Hardcore Henry, similar dynamics in terms of how gravity operates on them, but switched. Hmm. Is that too obscure? No. <laughs> okay, what, do you remember the end of Sightseers? Yeah. I still don't understand what you mean. How about with how they treat dogs? Oh, high rise. Oh, shit. <laughs> All right, shut up. Let's do a three by three. Dingus, what you this week? All right, so we've done things with windows. We've done things with reflections. Uh, this is your favorite um, uh, broken glass used in movies. And so the uh, example I used was from a movie called Joshua. That This is one I burned, where uh, Vera Farmiga, as the mother, uh, drops a pitcher when she's getting a getting some water in the middle of the night and then the broken glass is there on the floor and she steps on it um uh it you know impaling her foot basically so these are your favorite uses of broken glass in movies and kelly one D- dingus do you think kelly one has used shattered glass in the movie on his three by three yes uh interesting dingus will the will the three by three cops because the three by three cops were kept very busy last week uh what sort of Law enforcement, can we expect this week? Uh, we can expect pretty, pretty strict law enforcement. That's but the way it is. I like when I like law and order in my three by three. Bum, bum. So, Kelly, one here's your chance to test the limits of the law. What is your third favorite use of broken glass in a movie? My number three, broken glass. Oh, already got broken glass. Sorry. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's already broken glass. Number three is. Uh, I'll do a line from it. Yeah. <clears throat> No. Oh, uh, can I actually, can, well, can I just guess? Because I'm now. Yeah. I mean, you know what? No, because I'm just going to start guessing. If you're doing the sound of glass breaking, then I'm just going to start guessing movies where glass breaks, and that will be on people's lists. So I'm not going to guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're wise to do that because I think we're you're right. The same thing. That's the name of the movie. Everything you just said. The name of the movie is You're Right. <sighs> is that the the prequel to your next my Uh, number three broken glass topic choice is from the motion picture everyone's number three uh the godfather when and those were guns shooting oh the guy's glasses getting broken when he gets shot through the head no it's not mo green what's your do do you know which scene i'm talking about in the godfather well, uh, yeah, somebody it. shoots somebody through a window no, probably at some no, point, and, no, and Al Pacino no. looks really sad about it, and John Cazale is, like, bummed out. Oh, wait, you haven't seen Godfather, have you? I have, and I don't care about it. Whatever. The oranges spill on the street. Big whoop. Mm. <laughs> I do like Godfather 2, though. Uh, but Godfather 1, I feel, is kind of dated. But watching Al Pacino in Godfather 2, I feel, uh, still has a lot of value. Godfather 2 is pretty cool, huh? Yeah. So I don't uh, know. Yeah, what's the broken glass? Because uh, I remember, doesn't the guy kick out when he's getting garroted? He kicks out. Yeah, the- that's my number three. 
when Carlos. Yeah, no, that is cool. All right, I don't remember. Right. There's no pow pow. He's getting corroded, isn't he? He's not getting shot. Well, I wasn't quoting from that part. I was just gun shooting. <laughs> Another point in the movie, I say. <laughs> I was shooting when the oranges get spilled. <laughs> I mean, quoting it. You're shooting I was it. quoting the oranges. I was shooting the quote. I accept the bluff. Uh, describe the shot for us. It wasn't a shot. That's what I'm saying. He got strangled. But the scene I'm talking about, uh, yes. I don't know what you're gibbering about, like a maniac over there, is uh, from the movie The Godfather, where Carlo, who's married to uh, Talia Shire, um, is, quote, forgiven by Al Pacino's Michael Corleone. And he's all, oh, cool. Uh. And then he gets into a Godfather black 50s car. In the front seat of it. <laughs> your your knowledge of what Bill makes and models is canny. I remember, yeah, I lived through that era. It is totally opinion. canny. Mm-hmm. So then um, he uh, he's all, hey, where's the cannoli or something? And then oh, yeah, don't get the cannoli, right. Yeah. 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 It's leave leave the Kelly one, take the cannoli. Take the cannolis. Wait, and what does it tell him to leave? The, the gun. Kelly. Leave the gun, take the cannoli. Okay, right, right. And then the guy in the back seat strangles him, and then his foot punches through the windshield. But it does it really slowly and lamely, like, ugh. like it's, it's, it's not a, like it's just violent. No, it's 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 not slowly. It's spasmy. Yeah, it's yeah, a spasm. Shot from the angle it's shot at, and from yeah, just sort of the guy jerking. Yeah, spasmy. It's a very miserable looking shot. And is it Abe Vigoda who's getting strangled, or no? No, no. it's no. just strictly business. Tell Michael. He doesn't. He gets no, killed Abigoda, off screen. Yeah, Abigoda doesn't. It's 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 car. It's yeah. It's a different guy. Yeah, we don't see Abigoda die, so he you could know, be back for four. Kelly Wan, just on behalf of Dingus and I and a lot of listeners, I want to thank you for classing a join up with a Godfather reference. Yeah, thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to see that a three by three from time to time. You know, Dingus handles the Citizen Kane ones. You handle Godfather. I don't know what my you know Jaws. I'll bring in Jaws every now and then. Between us, it's <laughs> nice that we're doing we're bringing up the classics. I was hoping they'd reenact the Carlo windshield scene in Zootopia with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they didn't. You know what that makes me think of, though, and I don't, I don't even know if this is a, if this correlates at all, but I can't help but think of it as a scene kind of like that. Intercut with a baptism. Uh, remember oh, Jesse wow. Clements thinking that he was going to get killed by Johnny Depp in Black Mass? Yeah. And then oh, yeah. Like, oh no, it's not me. Cool. <laughs> Jumping in. Like I love that little car scene uh, with the car assassination. I don't think anybody's foot went through a windshield, but I'm just no. reminded of Jesse Plemons in, in that bit there. I'm yeah, glad you reminded me of that. Yeah, I've got a different favorite foot through a windshield thing that I'll bring up later for runners up. Well, that's my three by three in a, in a couple weeks. So. Oh well, never mind. <laughs> uh, okay, so speaking of. Things going through wind. No, this doesn't even. I, I don't even have a segue. My third favorite broken glass instance movie, and this is what I thought Kelly Wand was was referring to. I'm going to give you guys a line from it. Ready? Into the gray. <laughs> what? Oh, oh, oh! Prediction. Shoot. Let me change that one. Uh, no, like, that's not glass. Does it? Oh yeah, those are probably like a really hard plastic or something, don't yeah. you think? Yeah. In, uh, into the gray. He called it Tom. He called <laughs> it. <laughs> into the gray. Um, isn't there a movie, a Dennis Hopper movie called Into the Blue? Mm-hmm. There's also a Paul Walker movie called that, huh? That one's just called Deep Blue. Uh, who knows? No, anyway, the re- the thing I was going to guess, I'll give you guys a line from it. Pow, pow. 
Exactly. Oh, Godfather 3. Pow, pow, pow. Here's a line from it. Uh, okay, it's time to eat, gay boy. Oh. Oh, that's a good one. It's uh, bathroom, right? No, it's not the bathroom. So in Punch Drunk Love, when we're first meeting uh, Adam Sandler's character, and we find out that he really does have seven sisters, and he goes to, to dinner with them, and they greet him with this story where he got really mad when he was called gay boy as a kid, and he threw a hammer through the window, and they're bringing it up to him, and he's kind of like, I don't remember that. I mean, and they're 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 they mean well, yeah. but they're bringing up this really embarrassing story, and his brothers in law are there, and he actually thinks that a girl he's going to get set up with is there, and the first thing he hears when he walks in is, remember when we used to call him gay boy, and he's yeah. not even there yet. They're telling the story in the kitchen, and this is what he walks in on. Um, Wait, mean well. They love him. I mean, they're all very affectionate. They love him, but it just builds and it builds and it builds on him. Well, it, it, what builds – I think it's it's uh, Paul Thomas Anderson sort of getting into his head. I don't think it's necessarily – like everybody – he's not really accustomed to these social situations. So right. all the brothers-in-law saying, hi, how are you? And then him discovering that the girl he's going to get set up with isn't there, um, and he just feels so awkward. And, and he ends up uh, kicking a plate glass window, and I think it's three kicks, and it comes down the, the window, uh, super violent, and – not super violent. But oh, I thought it was like this weird, like, credenza, not credenza, but this. Okay, go ahead. Anyway. No, it's a plate glass window, like, out to the backyard, like a sliding patio door thing. Uh, and he kicks it down, and, and then and then afterwards, there's a brief, a stunned silence, and then the girls are like, Barry! Like, they're mad at him. They're not, oh, what's wrong? Are you okay? It's like he's done it again. Yeah, like that, yeah. That whole thing. And what I didn't realize uh, – until I'd seen this scene a few times, is that if you listen closely in all those overlapping voices uh, that are building in the sound design and that the brilliant sound design in that movie, you hear someone say, "Okay, let's sit down and eat, gay boy." Like one of the sisters calls him gay boy, and that's what gets him to break the window. And I'd seen the movie like several times before I, I caught that. Um, hmm. But I, I just love his character, and I love. Uh, that as an introduction to how, you know, he's basically a little crazy. Uh, yeah. I see his point, though. And isn't he talking to one of his brothers-in-law, like, next to the laundry room or well, something? Well, no, then, then the next shot is it cuts to him in the laundry room. He's obviously been removed from the main room while they're sweeping <laughs> up the glass or whatever. And one of the brothers-in-law is in there, and he's confiding in the brother-in-law you know, should I maybe see a doctor about this? And the guy is listening very uh, empathetically and nodding sagely. And he finally says, well, well uh, Barry, I'm a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's the next scene there. So there you go. So that's that's my uh, third favorite broken glasses. Uh, Adam Sandler kicking a, a patio door um, in Punch Drunk Love. I love that pick because I, one of the things I love is I love about that is what has has to happen. I didn't even think about this, Tom. But what has to happen after the aftermath of having to clean up the glass, and, yeah. and what that means, and, and what it means to have to repair that, whatever they're going to have to repair. Well, and they were all sitting down to eat, and there's like kids and stuff there, and you know, yeah, 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 dinners yeah. on the table ready to go, and now there's glass everywhere. Yeah, yeah. All right, Dingus. Mm -hmm. What is your third favorite instance of broken glass in a movie? And remember, Dingus, the three by three cops are out. All right. And I will arrest myself. I will. I will certainly do a self-arrest. They've gone rogue. Right. Uh, this is a quote from it. Anonymity is like a warm blanket. This is from the movie Mission Impossible. 
Um, and it is this moment, and this is one of these, I, one of these tropes I really love in movies. Um, it, it's the moment where, uh, Ethan Hawke goes back, Ethan Hawke, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> He's playing Ethan Hawke. Interesting casting choice, Nick. Where Ethan Hawke, sorry, goes back to the, uh, safe house, and he takes the light bulb, he crushes it in, in a towel, and he spreads it out all over the landing there so that he can hear if somebody's coming to uh, sneak up on him. And then he goes and does this ridiculous thing where he's searching on the internet to find out what Job 314 means. Uh, and he finally goes like, oh, there's a Bible behind me. It's Job 314. And, he, and just, I love I love that scene. I love the internet searching in that scene. I love that how he's searching Usenet groups and he's getting tireder and tireder. And then he hears the crunching of the glass that when somebody is coming to sneak up on him, unfortunately he's asleep. Uh, and so what he sees is, is this vision of John Voight stumbling into the room with his bloody hands. Um, but it's not really John Voight. It's him. It's Ethan Hunt being asleep. Uh, but I just love that whole, that whole trope of sprinkling the broken glass from a light bulb into the landing in order to, be sure that we can hear you coming in. Do you remember the movie where I think it was Kenneth Branagh was going to torture someone by putting a light bulb in his or her mouth and then punching them? Oh, yes, definitely. In a car in... Russia! Yeah, Die Hard 5. Right? Nope. It's a, it's a, the Kevin Costner one, isn't it? No, no. Shoot, which one was it, Dingus? Oh, God, now I don't remember. Now you guys just said those things, two things. No, it wasn't Black Hat. Cause not, it's one that definitely not, not Black Hat. Uh, because uh, Mikhail Gorbachev is playing, not Mikhail Gorbachev, but um, the dancer. Who's the Who's the dancer? Damn it! Mikhail Baryshnikov. Yeah, Baryshnikov plays uh, a prominent role in that movie. White Knights. It's not White Knights. No, but it's it's like it's it is one of those. And Brown's the villain. I, I don't even remember. Oh, and Kieran Knightley is. is in it. Is it Kieran oh, and Chris Pine. It's, oh, oh, is it? Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the Jack. Uh, it's uh, oh, oh yeah, what yeah, is it? Yeah. It's Jack Ryan thing. It's called Shadow uh, Recruit. Shadow Recruit. Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit. God, I never would have. That movie was called Shadow Recruit? Remember he sees 9-11 and then I'm not certain, but I'm pretty sure calls. it was Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit. Yeah, no. I'm, well, you're the Tom Clancy authority, Dingus. I will defer to you, definitely. <laughs> I defer I almost, to your bluff. I'm almost certain. Yeah, I'm almost certain that was it. But you, yeah, you saying the light bulb thing, yeah. Oh, but that's the one where Kevin Costner has the dog, right? Oh yeah, yeah, you're that's right. The, the, the spy, the rental dog, which I loved. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's John Wick. Nope. <laughs> and he's calling his daughter. Yeah, yeah, I love that. With it, yeah, he just has the rental. These are the worst two minutes on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> that's saying some. All right, uh, let's see. Are we down to your second favorite instance of broken glass, Kelly? Long? Down to it. Yeah, down to it's the right phrase. All right, we'll do a quote from it. All right. You have to guess. All right. Pow, pow. <laughs> Godfather 2. No. Uh, ah, Sophie uh, Coppola's Godfather 3. Kung Fu Hustle. It is second in a series, though. That's your hint. I'm not going to start seeing things that have pow noises. Cause it <laughs> you just did. Yeah, you're in for a penny. Uh, the Deer Hunter. For two pennies. Yeah. See this, Kelly Wand? This is this. It's me. All right. Uh, you. <laughs> It, that was the sound of dinosaurs eating Vince Vaughn, because my number two is from Lost World, Jurassic Park 2, where um they're in that RV. Yeah, that's not broken glass, it's breaking glass. Fingers arrest him. 
I'm not saying anything more about it. <laughs> <laughs> On the grounds that you, met, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you. Now, that is a great one, and I thought of it, but I was like, well, is it, it's breaking glass, not broken glass. I guess it's glass with a crack in it. Glass with a crack yeah, in it is broken, I guess. All right. All right, I'm not going to arrest you. past tense? I just think of there's uh, even one of the, the recent uh, – I saw the Maze Runner movie recently, and it has a scene like that. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Is the maze made out of glass? That would make it harder and easier. Uh, no, the first – there's no maze in the second movie, by the way. The first movie, which is actually pretty good, there's a maze. In the second movie, they just run around and, like, fight zombies and go into run, desert, move through apocalyptic cities and have battles against helicopters. The second one's ridiculous. But they have one it of those – sound fights. very allegiant to it. They have one of those fights. That's on, it's on a, like a skyscraper that's fallen sideways, and there's the fight on the glass that's breaking, uh, and a zombie is fighting against whatever. But it's it's done very well that that set piece in Jurassic Park two. So you lost ahead. me. At Let's do a podcast. <laughs> hey, what? Uh, it's your scene. Go ahead and describe it because I like this one, but I was like, no, the glass isn't really broken. That's where I went. I that's where I feel Lost World's underrated. Like Dingus, because Jurassic World—that's a—that's like a—it's an iconic Spielberg action sequence. It's one of the last ones we'll ever get, too. So well, it's one of the last brutal ones, too. The fact that Rich, yeah, Richard Schiff, is that his name, Dingus? Yeah, he's trying to back the yeah. car up. Yeah. It's all Rube Goldberg. There's like five things going on, and they're all connected. He's got to like. And the guy's I trying mean, to back the car up, doing a good thing. I mean, he's, yeah, he's, the mud. Guy's a brutal death. Like, uh, yeah. The geography matters. The physics matter. The dumbness of the characters matters. There's a stupid camera on a strap. The glass is breaking really slow. Julianne Moore's got that face. Like, oh, shit. I like it. It's good. And then at the end, they're saved when a thing falls off a cliff. Like, that solves the problem. Because it falls around them, you mean? Yeah, it falls around them. So it's like, uh, I don't know. It just seems creative. It is a great set piece. Yeah. I know everyone... When everyone thinks of that movie, they first think of the Jim Cotta girl, thinking oh, the Velociraptors, right. yeah. and then that kind of ruins the whole movie. But it's a, a lot of people die in that movie, and I think that's cool. Like, you do get to see dinosaurs hit the mainland, and there's a huge body count. Like, the dinosaurs kill so many people in that movie. It's really good. There's got to be a bigger body count in Jurassic World. They step on a lot of people, too. It's like what you, King Kong, I kind of wish had been a little more, like more of a snuff film. Charles Grodin got stepped on, so you got that going for it. You just see his hat, though, or did I imagine that? No, he gets stepped on. There's a scene of him, like, he's looking up at the bottom of the foot, and he screams, and the camera comes down on him. He, told he raises his arms over. No, I know, but afterwards, isn't there a shot of his hat? Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably not what it would look like if a giant ape really stepped on you. Did you say that Lost World is what King Kong is reaching for? Yeah. In terms of like, it's it's, it's, the, it's the opposite. Lost World is trying to ape King Kong. Ah. <laughs> At the end, when it when it shows up in you know quote unquote San Diego, which is totally downtown Burbank. Well, yeah, I'm not. I just meant in that one sense, in that one scene, not the whole thing. I was oh, just sort God. of I freaking hate that movie. I'm so, I mean, I, I love the. Lost I, I kind of like. Yeah, I, I really hate it. I mean, the whole Jim mm-hmm. Cotta the, the thing, the way the movie's... Yeah, it's all bad. All but Jeff Goldblum's the star of it, too. So it's Jeff Goldblum versus dinosaurs. And it's kind of dark for a Spielberg movie. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like it gets a bad rap. It's sort of Temple of Doomy <laughs> in a weird way. 
Right. And it's just like, I don't know. It could have been worse. And then I, I think it's <laughs> like the reason I was excited for the new one. And then when I saw the new one, I went, all right. So Lost World's the last pleasant <laughs> surprise with the word Jurassic in the title. Because I thought it was going to be worse than it was. But um, Oh, I see. Okay. It's so dumb. It's just and it's just dinosaurs killing people for a long time. Like there's not much chitter chatter in Lost World, if I remember right. Maybe if I saw it again, I'd eat all these words. But uh, isn't Colin Trevorrow doing the next the, the not the next Star Wars movie, but the one after the next Star Wars movie? Isn't he slated for? Whoa, really? Yeah. Wow. Is it too late? Because you don't. Yeah, you liked that movie. You liked his Jurassic Park movie. Me? Didn't you? Yeah. 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 Well, you know. Yeah, and I've watched it. Several times because my kid loves the so, Jurassic Park movies. Aside from number two, you should be glad he's doing a Star Wars movie. Kieran okay. hates number two. Yeah, he's not a big fan of it. Stupid Jim Carter. It's just Does he not, like the glass. It's part? not really much of a cohesive movie. It's just a mess. No, I know. No, it is. It's a hot mess. But he, he loves number three. He loves number one. He loves, and he really does like the glass a lot. That glass scene is it's this is one of the things is about movies, it's like there's there's a lot of good shit sometimes in really bad movies. And I feel like Lost World's definitely one of those. And like the glass scene's my proof. Like and that remember, scene's actually kinda good. If it'd been the first one, everyone would go, Oh yeah, I remember the glass part. But I remember Tom saying that like long ago, saying that, that whole that whole set piece was you know, was you know, worth worth the price of admission, basically. Yeah. Okay, well Tom got that from me. Sure. <laughs> Sorry, and, I can, and I can actually see in my I head the way the glass it. is cracking and whatnot. Yeah. I don't know. It's a virtuoso. It's kind of like it makes you feel affection for Spielberg that I haven't felt for a long time. So. All right. Well, you know what? You know what you're seeing in your rearview mirror, Kelly Wand? The cop turning his car around and going the other direction. He yeah. was taking your bumper, but. You're okay. Oh. I, I ran your plates and. Cool, because I'm drunk as fuck. So. <laughs> yeah. well, luckily, I you're not weaving. My number two favorite crack glass, and I love being able to bring this movie up to you, Jokers. Here's a line from it. Those are the best odds I've had in years. Jedi? I know you like <laughs> mentioning it. Green Room. Which Jedi are you talking about? I was worried Fantasm? this was going to hear me watching it in the other room because I just put it on a little earlier. Uh, so, um, Unfortunately, I did, but, uh, but go ahead. Yeah, so uh, – uh, Matt Damon has uh, – is uh, a cat butt messing up my volume here. Hold cat on. butt. Uh, Euphemisms. Matt Damon has falsified data about the planet he's been sent to in Interstellar, and it's simply because he wants to be picked up. Like he, he's been sending out false data saying, yeah, this planet is habitable. Come check it out. And in reality, he's a coward, and he just wants to go home. Uh, he's the flip side of – interstellar story about the nobility of exploring places um the nobility of setting out in the unknown and not being sure if you'll come back uh so what he has to do is basically dispose of matthew mcconaughey to get uh basically i think it's like the keys to the ship for the most part uh, <laughs> so they're fighting and they're in spaceships, and the, the atmosphere is not breathable for more than a couple of minutes. It's full of, I think they even say ammonia, and if you've ever smelled ammonia, you know how painful that's got to be if you're inhaling it. Uh, so they're fighting. There's a couple of moves with these little jet things they have in their arms. Uh, and then eventually Matthew McConaughey gets the upper hand on him, and he's pinning him down to the ground, and he's saying, stop this, stop this. And Matt Damon 
just starts banging his faceplate against Matthew McConaughey's faceplate. Yeah. And Matthew McConaughey's saying, what, you're, you're crazy. You know, it's a 50-50 chance it's going to kill you, mm-hmm. you know, that his faceplate is going to break instead of Matthew McConaughey's. And that's what he says. Those are the best odds I've had in years. Uh, <laughs> and it's Matthew McConaughey's that breaks, uh, and it leads to – my favorite scene in this where Matt Damon gets the keys to the shuttle, goes up to the Endurance, screws the pooch, and uh, Matthew McConaughey has to basically wrangle this wrecked, dying uh, spaceship before it burns in the atmosphere. But I just love that idea of he is so desperate that he's going to bang two gl- pieces of glass together and just hope that the other one breaks first. Um, Why not just use a rock and increase? Because his arms are being pinned. Matthew right, McConaughey's right. on him, pinning his arms down, mm-hmm. and he's—they're he's, basically like imagine, you know, he's lying on top of him, like two lovers would be lying on top of each other, and he's having to hold him down so he can't fight him, and their faces are right close to each other. So Matt Damon is just like smacking his head forward to bang the faceplates together. And I—I I think that I, I love that pick because it's—it's it's a great uh, sort of uh, take on the whole. Like I, I have never understood the the headbutt. Uh, yeah. Fight. Like, how, how is that going to work out for anybody? Well, I see what that does. I've wondered that too. And what it is, thing is, is you use what you do is you use the bone on your forehead on somebody's nose, which is breaking. Okay. Uh, so that is an actual move because I always thought, wait, you're just banging your forehead in someone else's forehead. That's stupid. You use your forehead to break their nose, and that is actually I don't know about a legitimate move, but uh, if I'm ever in a fight, I'm going to try it. Oh man, I, I just can't imagine it because it always seems like they're just smashing forehead to forehead, and the right, guy right. Get, the intention gets to win. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> it's the, whoever has the thickest skull, I guess. So it's funny that you bring that up because it, it immediately, and I hope nobody else. I, I can't imagine either of you two have this, but I just remember the other face mask break for Matt Damon, <laughs> of course, from uh, The Martian. When does his face mask break? He has to duct tape it after the hab blows up. And he gets right. knocked across the. All right, never mind. That sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. This is the far better. But see, in this one, his faceplate doesn't break because he comes but, out ahead. But I like it because it reminds me of that whole weird. I'm going to smash my forehead into your forehead. Right. And we'll, we'll see who comes out ahead. Matt Damon spent a lot of time in space that year. Yeah. Dingus, what's your second favorite use of broken glass in a movie? All right, Kelly. Are you there? Huh? I'm listening. Right. Um, uh, this is one of the reasons why I didn't pull you over um, uh, and let you go. But there's a reason why I picked this pick. So I pretty uh, glass that isn't broken but is breaking. Uh, there is my favorite actually mo- actual moment in it is related is just broken glass. Um, but it is a constant motion of broken glass, and this is one of my favorite things, but not my absolute favorite. Um, and so here's a quote from it. Uh, you'd be surprised what a guy would go through to get a glimpse of a beautiful body. Hmm. You better not be stealing my body heat pick. Nope. Okay. And she says, no, I wouldn't. Anyway, it's from the movie Blade Runner. Uh, and this is when uh, he's shooting... At, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Joanna Cassidy. Yeah. And she's breaking through glass pane after glass pane after glass pane after glass pane. And you see the ridiculous stunt man. Yeah. But my, my, my favorite thing is, is well, there's two 
there's two things that I really love about this. And, and this, and this, this category, um, was actually inspired by Kelly, um, uh, because of Kelly's sand, um, topic, uh, because for a while I was thinking I could totally grief Kelly by doing like different phases of sand and I could just do glass because sand eventually becomes glass. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I just decided, well, there's, I thought Kelly's topic was really good enough not to mess with him. So I just dropped that. And then I started thinking about glass and then I started thinking about broken glass because we've already done windows and whatnot. So Kelly's sand topic really inspired this. Um, so it, if the, there's, there's, there's a time after she's gone through a couple of panes of glass where she, she falls onto the ground, onto the floor and she has to push herself up and you just see, you see broken glass all around her. And that always just creeps me out. Um, but she, she picks herself up and then she smashes through like what looked like display store windows with, with like Christmas or snow oriented um display set up in them and then she finally smashes through the last one as he he finally takes her down and as the as the shot goes on uh in the long shot as he's coming in there's this huge shard of glass that's just left there that finally teeters and falls down and then he walks in and and she's just surrounded by broken glass and uh and that that whole Blade Runner sequence, but mainly that huge shard of glass that falls down finally at the end. And I just, I just kept wondering, how did they choreograph that whole thing? How did that work? Um, cause you, you know, how much, how are you, what are you using? Tempered glass? What are you using to do that? I don't know how they shot that. So watching that big shard of glass fall over near her feet before he comes over and turns her over. That's my second favorite. That was probably just CG. Probably not. Um. Uh. All right. Yeah. I did because uh, it's a great image, but yeah, just the stunt man in the wig just kind of ruins it for me every time. Uh, yeah. How, it how, is how... difficult to watch it, but I love. I mean, it it is again one of these movies where you put it in, it's hard not to watch a bunch of scenes. But watching that particular stunt man thing is weird. Um. But I'm willing to overlook it for this particular category. And it's not like they probably, you know, they used a lot of assets there. They probably couldn't have gone like that's the take they had to use. Yep. You know, if they broke all their glass, what are you gonna do? And and they go through like sheet after sheet of glass. Uh, I mean, why did you think you were gonna get pulled over for that, by the way? Uh no, uh, it it was just um you, you know when Kelly was talking about his, you were talking about it's not uh broken glass, it's breaking glass. Oh, and right. I was kind of careful about that. Um, because I didn't want to necessarily just use like glass as weapons or glass that is in the process of shattering. Cause I think we talked about some of that when we were talking about, uh, windows maybe. Um, but it's just one of the reasons I chose this topic was the way glass looks once it is broken or the way it's used once it's broken. Um, uh, which is why Mission Impossible works as my first pick and, and why this one is the next, because it's just all that glass that's left on the ground. Uh, and, and the way that uh, just, I don't know, that just creeps me out because, you know, especially maybe as a parent, I don't know, if you drop a glass on the floor, uh, we've got pets, we've got kids, you know, everybody, okay, this, this area is quarantined until I totally <laughs> clean this up. Dingus rolls out orange tape and yeah, yeah. He, he tapes off the, the premises. Uh, yeah, there's some things that I was thinking of too, but 
they and Kelly will know both of these actually that feature glass, but it's not um, it, it's intact glass that after the fact. Well, you know, we'll get to them in the runners up. Um, all right. So that was your number two. Kelly Wan, what's the best use of broken glass in a movie? My number one is uh, the movie Die Hard because it's all about broken glass because it's like he uh, uses broken glass on the windshield when he throws the body through it and then <laughs> the bad guys use it to shoot it out so he gets his bare feet bloody. Kelly Wan, so, do you know the German word for broken glass? No, schadenfreude. You're close, isn't it? You, first of all, you live in Germany. Second of all, they say it in the movie. Like, doesn't everybody know that line? Because uh, Alan Rickman says it to the blonde guy, and the blonde guy doesn't know what he's talking about. So Alan Rickman has to say it again. Schadenfreude. It's Das Fenster, which is window. So he means. Yeah, you're right, Kelly. It is window. the only word yeah. I knew. Yeah. I always forget that that's the mistake they made. That it was shoot the window, not shoot the glass. Oh, that's why the guy's confused. Well, he has to say it again. Like Alexander Gudinov, like he says to Alexander Gudinov, shoot the window. And Alexander Gudinov is like, what? And he means shoot the glass. Okay, whatever. No, they're windows. He's confused because. Like, why would I do it? Yeah, why wouldn't okay. I shoot the guy right. through the windows that we're trying to kill? Well, him being bare. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, him being barefoot at that point, too, just it highlights his vulnerability and just the detail about why he's barefoot is a cute little human moment about him. Um, and that Hans knows that. He knows he's barefoot. Right, right, yeah. Oh, because it's after they've had the cigarette, isn't it? Or is it? I don't I think it's after he's – I don't know. Yeah, but oh, it's he knows be, he's barefoot. Otherwise, he would have seen – yeah, it's got to be after they've shared a cigarette because otherwise wouldn't – Oh, yeah, you're probably right. Because obviously I presume, yeah, Bruce Willis sees uh, Alan Rickman shooting at him, and Alan Rickman can't then pretend to be Clay Williams or whatever he says his name is. Uh, later on when they share a cigarette it's bill clay bill clay wow you know that well he says william clay and then he looks up at the marquee and it says you know w or he says bill clay and it says w clay ah okay see i kind yeah. of i was close i had yeah. the right idea right. i love the pick kelly because um my favorite thing of glass if, if you'll allow it's not one of my picks it's my, one of my runners up and i love that you picked this kelly um it's it's when he's pulling the piece of glass out of his foot during that monologue. Um, that's my favorite bit of broken glass in that movie because I love the she's invented moment. But when he's pulling that when he's pulling glass out of his foot and talking to Al on the on the on the walkie-talkie, oh damn! I mean that makes my skin crawl. But I also just love the way Bruce Willis plays that scene. I, I think Bruce Willis is amazing in Die Hard, um, and I love this pick for that reason, Kelly. I have to say, glass being pulled out to me, like I see that, and I I feel more relief. Like ah, you want that out, right? Like, isn't it great to pull out a little sliver? Like, it feels great to have a sliver of glass taken out of your like finger or whatever. So I see that, and I'm like, oh, about time. Good. That must have felt wonderful. I just think how my kid reacts when whenever he needs a splinter pulled out, and he sees me coming at him with tweezers, and he's just like, don't do that. I'm like, this will be better if you let me do this, and he's just, eh. No, no, getting, the idea of like we, pulling a piece of yeah, glass. Yeah, getting splinters place. taken out of glass, it feels awesome. Like they don't belong there. When it finally gets out, I, I don't know. I, I love getting glass taken out of me. I don't want it in there in the first place. So We also don't see the glass go in his foot. They go shoot the Spencer, and we don't know what that means. And then the next shot, we see Bruce Willis. He's taking glass out of his foot, and then we have to add that up. So it's actually kind of a subtle 
Oh, they don't do the uh, the thing with like with Vera Farmiga and Joshua. We're not seeing his feet. Right. Yeah. There's no cutaway of it. Yeah. So that might have gotten Die Hard an R rating. Well, actually, you see him. I mean, you don't see him because Kelly's right. He's just running across the floor. But then, like, I think he has to drag himself about across the floor of the bathroom and leaves like a trail of blood. Right. Uh, right. But not. But you don't. That's you're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you go, oh yeah, that's why he said that. Okay, yeah. PG-13 then. We'll give it a PG-13. My favorite use of broken glass in a movie. Um, this movie is uh, – it's a William Peter Blatty movie called Ninth Configuration that was based on a book he'd previously written called Twinkle, Twinkle, Killer Kane. Uh, he was going to make it with William Friedkin. They did The Exorcist instead. William Peter Blatty shopped this around his scripts. Eventually, he put up his own money. He got a bunch of money from a soft drink company on the condition that he shoots it in, I think, Hungary. Um, so with very little money in Hungary, he makes this movie that's kind of a grotesque theological comedy about crazy people. Um, and one of, the, one of the characters is Scott Wilson. And he plays an astronaut who just freaked out before his rocket took off and was like, wanted no part of it, and he just went insane. And another character is Stacy Keach, who thinks he's the main doctor, but we find out later he's a patient being treated. Shutter Island kind of deal. Um, and near the end of the movie, Scott Wilson uh, leaves the hospital, and he goes to a bar where there are a bunch of bikers. This movie's in 1980, and these bikers – they're just a bunch of dudes like in leather and headbands and i don't i don't i've never seen this in a movie with bikers they're dancing they're doing like that 80s hey i'm a white guy like dancing thing where you're holding your hands by your side and you're just kind of swaying around and it kind of undermines the idea of them being tough bikers but it was the 80s so that's what they assumed bikers did so scott wilson goes to this bar one of the bikers recognizes him and it's like hey you're that astronaut that panicked and they start making fun of him and humiliating him. Uh, they start pouring drinks on him. They start throwing him around in a circle. The waitress finally calls because she knows that there's this insane asylum nearby. She calls and says, hey, there's somebody down here. I think he belongs up there. Uh, these bikers are picking on him. You might want to send someone down there. So Stacy Keach, and all we know is that he was in Vietnam, and he was basically traumatized from having killed children while he was over there. At some point, he was a ruthless killer, and he now no longer wants to be that. He's trying to get away from that. So he's going to rescue Scott Wilson uh, from these bikers. So he shows up, and he's trying to be deferential. He's basically saying, hey, just let us go, and the bikers prey on this. They're like, okay, we'll let you go if you say that Marines suck. And so he reluctantly, because he's a Marine, he reluctantly says Marines suck. And they're like, no, we're not going to let you go. We'll let you go if you lick this beer up off the floor. And they're doing all these things to humiliate him, and he's he's taking it all. He just wants to get out of there um, until some of the bikers start trying to sodomize Scott Wilson. Uh, and he realizes that uh, there's no way to avoid violence. And so what ends up being a bar fight, which isn't so much a bar fight as a mass murder, because he ends up killing a lot of these people, including like the biker chicks, um, begins with him on the floor having licked up this beer. And the bikers think, ah, they've totally beat him down. They're about to sodomize poor Scott Wilson. The main biker's holding a mug of beer. And you see from below the frame, Stacy Keach's hand 
reach up and sort of wrap weakly around the the biker's hand holding the beer. And the biker goes, oh, look, guys, I think he wants a drink. But then his face turns into this this sort of astonished, uh, distressed look, wide-eyed look, as Stacy Keach crushes his hand and the beer mug into this bloody pulp with his hand, and that's what precipitates uh, the fight. That's how then the fight breaks out, and he ends up killing a lot of them. But just that image of him crushing the guy's hand with the beer mug in it, and then the guy later, like, he screams, and he opens his hand, and there's little glass shards sticking out of his palm. Uh, and and that's uh, – I just remember as, as a kid just how horrifying that seemed, is what if you held a glass – and you crushed it with your hand and couldn't open your hand or drop it or whatever. Like what if someone made you crush it in your palm? So that is my, my favorite uh, use of broken glass is the uh, prelude to a, a murderous bar fight in Ninth Configuration. I really like that movie actually, but I haven't seen it in forever. I thought Kelly had seen it, but – Yeah, it's good. It's a good pick. Oh, okay, good. So, Dingus, that is now you. What is your favorite use of broken glass in a movie? All right, mine is also alcohol-related. It uh, the quote is, uh, "Drowned himself in alcohol in under a minute. He could have been one of my fraternity brothers." Um, And this is a cop that's talking about what happens uh, at in the crime scene um, after the fact of Pruitt Taylor Vince in Constantine. Uh, drowning himself in alcohol in the in liquor oh, store. Oh yeah, space. yeah. And I can never remember the name of the guy uh, who's uh, who plays the the demon dude. Uh, he's from Bush, but I can't remember. You cannot name. remember Gavin Rossdale's name. Gavin Rossdale. I can never remember. Gavin Rossdale's name. You cannot. Dingus. Re- How can um, you not remember the name of a guy that dreamy? Um, but the the broken glass bits that I'm talking about are um, the first two moments that you know. What's happening is that um, he's drowning himself in alcohol, but no alcohol seems to be flowing for him. So he's not actually drinking it, but he is actually drinking it. He doesn't he doesn't perceive that he's having his thirst quenched, or that he's having himself um, calmed by what he's just seen in the morgue. Uh, so he he starts by being able to unscrew a couple of bottles of wine, and he puts them back on the shelf in the cooler, and they just pour out. But then he starts to move on to harder liquor, presumably something. It's a white liquor, so it's vodka or gin or whatever. And the, the broken glass that I'm talking about is, is how he, he uh, the Prue Taylor Vince character, smashes the bottle on the side of the counter, uh, on the side of the um, the shelf, and then he upends the bottle to his mouth and it's it's the jagged ends of that glass as he shoves it toward his face that freaks me out every time i see that and he does that twice and then of course he he crawls to the front and i and i thought what he had done was he leaves a clue for constantine on his palm uh, of the of the symbol of gavin rossdale um but he does it with corkscrew instead but but as the scene plays out, you see just this this wetness of alcohol on the floor and and shards of broken glass, like 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 the tide has gone out, sort of, and and then later when um, this is a little bit later when uh, when Keanu Reeves and Rachel Weisz are at the at the counter and the and then at the diner uh, talking about the things that we have seen, and he 
and Keanu Reeves starts to describe the fact that, um, you know, they call it balance. I call it hypocritical bullshit. You know, that some, some of them reveal themselves and some of them reveal themselves and I have to, I have to maintain balance. And you see that the guy that, that is the, the clerk of the liquor store kneeling over Pruitt Hiller Vince and his, and his wings like move out because you also see, you know, Gavin Rossdale's face dissolve into demonness but you also see those shards of glass and the alcohol like in front of the body and you realize that just the havoc that this has wreaked but the the real broken glass moment is that where he smashes the bottle and then he just points at his face and just watching him like jam that those jagged edges at his face oh my gosh it it creeps me out every time not a good way to get alcohol in a bottle you know yeah. What do the listeners have for their picks for Broken Glass? All right. First, we have James Miller. Interesting subject for this week. I've made some more or less violent picks. For some levity, I chose Lloyd Bridges' Bad Day in the motion picture Airplane. (laughs) Having chose the wrong week to quit smoking, drinking, doing amphetamines, and and huffing glue, Bridges' character makes a drug-addled leap out of the control tower when he sees the plane coming right at him. Cracks me up every time. What? Man, I don't even remember that. Yeah, he just jumps out of the tower, and then the glass breaks. Uh, next, in Django Unchained, Leo DiCaprio's racist rant as Calvin Candy is punctuated when he slams his hand down on glass. Oh, yeah. Cutting the actor so badly he needs stitches. DiCaprio kept going in the scene, however, even wiping copious real blood all over Kerry Washington's face. Uh, for my favorite instance of broken glass in the Coen Brothers movie, The Man Who Wasn't There, during a fight between James mm, Gandolfini's Big Dave yeah. and Billy Bob Thornton's Ed Crane, mm. Dave has Ed pinned against a large plate glass window. Dave is stra- strangling Ed, and as he does, Dave is using so much force that a small crack starts appearing behind Ed's head. As the spider webs out, Ed stabs Dave's neck with a pen knife. As Dave stumbles away, the glass remains cracked, but still standing. So yeah, if we can use the Jurassic Park one, that works as well. That's fine. If, if, if a, a crack in a glass is technically broken, so fair enough. Uh, next we have Chris Cesarino. Or Cesarano. Sorry, Chris. Chris Cesarano. Uh, Hello Quarter 3 Movie Podcast. I've been listening to the film podcast for a couple of years now, and I think it is finally time to write in. So here are three of my favorite uses of broken glass in a film. Number three, Jurassic Park. Kelly? Hello? The first one? Yeah, because he didn't say Lost World. Um, over 20 years later, the, the T-Rex tirade is still an incredibly tense and thrilling scene. This little build to its reveals an effective is, is is effective even when you already know what it looks like. The low lighting and falling rain hides the flaws. Oh, I, I get where he's going. At. No, wait, no, because the glass doesn't break. It stays intact. Otherwise, the kids would get eaten. No, no, it, it totally breaks and it shatters, and that's what's so scary about it. What? It's it's the it's the. I think he's talking about the the, the, sun the roof. lid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, it doesn't totally break. break. Oh, no, yeah. that's because it's the T Rex is like poking it with its mouth and it's keeping it from. They, it can't bite them through it. Oh, what's right. so great about it is that the you see the teeth and the shattered glass. This is great, Chris. All right. Kelly, are you with me on this? It breaks. I thought it – no, it's yeah, like – Yeah, I am with you, actually. Yeah, it's like a That's shield. why I didn't pick it. Yeah, same here because it just – it comes loose, but it doesn't break. No, I think it breaks. All right, we're going to go to the tape. All right. Because they would um, be hurt. They would be lying in broken glass, and the T-Rex's mouth would get around them. <laughs> the fact that it doesn't break is why they're alive. All right, Chris says – 
Things yeah. become their most suspenseful as the children are fighting over the flashlight, as the beam of light peering from the glass moon roof and the Ford Explorer vehicle with the T-Rex peering in. Seeing the face of the T-Rex descend down and bust that glass. Nope. It, it knocks it loose from its frame, but I think the glass is... No, no, no. He busts it. I'm with you, Chris. Yeah. We're going to go to the tape. Bust that glass. Um, it's a two-two split. The last fragile line of defense keeping the children alive always got my heart pumping as a kid, no matter how many times I wore out the VHS. That the glass is so thin and the children are able to literally stare under the monster's right. makes it so iconic and memorable in what is perhaps one of the most iconic scenes of 90s films. Well, Chris just said it's the last yeah. line of defense. If that last line of defense were gone, it, it shatters. The gla- it doesn't shatter in the way that uh, tempered glass shatter, but it, it breaks. It comes loose from the frame. No, it breaks. Oh, you guys. You, no, you. I think Chris is on our side, in fact. I think Dingus, it's a one-man battle for you on that one. All right. I'm happy to die on this glass hill. Because I can see it. Like, it's its mouth trying to, like, bite, and this, there's, it's like, got a glass shield in front of it. Like, uh, and it, like, well, and the evocative image is of breath. Glass not breaking and it butting against this glass and not knowing what glass is. Yeah, exactly, because T-Rexes haven't learned about that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So Chris Cesarano's number two is the Matrix. Real quick, hold on. You know what else T-Rexes don't know about in that scene? Rubber. Because the tires kind of confuse it, too. When it pulls the tire and the tire's like stretching, it's like, what? What's going on with this? He doesn't understand about the whole thing. He thinks he's like opening a carapace, basically. Right, right. Yeah, where's the stegosaurus inside? (laughs) This isn't what I signed up for. For the the Tyrannosaurus character, it's Sleeper because he's woken up in the future. (laughs) I like that take, Kelly Wand. What's his his orgasmatron device? Um, uh, Newman. <laughs> the new one. Yeah. All right, Chris's number two is The Matrix. This might get me in trouble with a three by three mm. cop, but hopefully, as a first time offender, I'll get off without a warning. Or with a warning, sorry. When I saw The Matrix, I had only seen a couple of spots on television that focused on the camera rotating around Trinity at the start, Neo bending backward to avoid to avoid bullets, and Morpheus leaping from one building to the next. I had no clue what the film was about otherwise and didn't pay much attention to it. It wasn't until the film hit VHS that I got to see it, and man, did it blow my mind. After Neo takes the red pill and is being prepared to wake up, he sees a shattered glass mirror that suddenly seems to fix itself. As Neo touches the mirror, the journey truly begins. As the glass becomes a liquid, soon begin to envelop him. If we go with the Christ metaphor... One can view this entire sequence as a baptism and rebirth with a shattered mirror reflecting one's sinful soul becoming whole, bathed in salvation. So I, what I was hoping he was going to go for, and the glass does break, I love that moment when uh, Carrie Ann Mo- uh, yeah, Moss is making the call in the phone booth and the car's bearing down on her, and she presses her hand against the glass of the phone booth. Almost oh. like defensively, you know, the truck is about to mow it down. She's hoping to get pulled out at the split second before it happens, but for whatever reason, she, you see her push her hand against that glass, like right. pushing herself back, like bracing for the impact, as if that's going to make a difference. Like I love the futility of the gesture. <laughs> I thought it was her diving through the window. Doesn't she dive through that window and she crosses from building to building? Oh yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, definitely. But that's not. Does she? I don't think she breaks glass to do that. Yeah, you're probably right. Comes out of the frame. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. It busts it. Yeah. 
And so Chris, number one is Die Hard. Uh, I have no doubt this will be on nearly every 3x3 list. I really did try to think of other examples, but none just live up to Hans telling Carl to shoot the glass, wounding John McClane's wounded feet. Ouch. Uh, in the case the 3x3 cup does not approve of the, the above items, he, says, he submits a bunch of others. Um, but uh, Chris, I, I love that you sent all of these in. I'm going, just going to read you three just in case other people, because we have got a bunch of other ones. Uh, next, we've got Paul Weimer. Um, he says, walking on broken glass. Hope I didn't earworm you with that. Uh, three uses of broken glass. Number three, in the terrible movie Van Helsing, have we have we had Van Helsing brought up yet? No, what's wrong with Van Helsing? I keep meaning to see it. It can't be that bad. It's CG and Hugh Jackman. The opening fight between the titular character and Mr. Hyde results, amongst other collateral damage, in the spectacular destruction of a stained glass window. Wait, Van Helsing fights Jekyll and Hyde? Apparently. That's, I think that's crossing the stream it somewhere. It sounds like he just fights Mr. Hyde. Dr. Jekyll is well, not. Well, they're the same guy. Yeah. Well, Spoiler. Sorry, Dingus. <laughs> Hmm. Um, number two, I really get uncomfortable in The Devil's Advocate <laughs> when the driven insane Charlize Theron breaks the glass of a picture frame and then uses a large shard of it to end her life by cutting her throat. I thought of that one. I, I did not. So. You thought of that, yeah. Kelly? Yeah, I thought it, and then she sees someone in the behind her. It's the Devil's uh, other advocate, the woman one. Oh, man, I keep trying to think of things like that. The only thing I remember about Devil's Advocate is listening to the – I actually watched that DVD and listened to the uh, commentary track, and the director just was basically scene by scene going, all right, in this scene, Keanu Reeves is doing this, and uh, um, Al Pacino is doing this. He's just basically describing the scenes. There's no behind-the-scenes anything. So, uh, yeah, we have three people here who remember the Devil's Advocate. Not me. I've never seen it. So um, so, you're talking about the, who wrote in. Yeah, I don't. I can't help you there. So me, Paul, and Kelly remember the Devil's Advocate. Yeah. Um, and Paul goes on to say, I think the most emotive acting I've ever seen Keanu Reeves ever manage in a movie and his horrified reaction to this. I disagree, Paul. I think his most emotive acting is in a great scene in um, John Wick. Um, and finally, Paul Weimer is number one in the Hudsucker Proxy. The breaking of the window in the high-up boardroom by the CEO of the falling toy company winds up being a mordant joke when a subsequent CEO tries the same suicide route, only to find that the placement window is made of a more shadow-resistant, uh, shatter-resistant material. Uh, next, we have David Ray. Hi. A great scene with broken glass is in the mirror scene from Duck Soup. Oh, wow. What? David, you're now my new favorite person. You brought a duck soup. <laughs> With the Marx Brothers. Mm-hmm. It brings some crackers. <laughs> Mark- I don't remember what he's talking about. Um, Harpo, a spy, breaks a mirror while disguised as Groucho. When Groucho hears the crash and investigates, Harpo escapes detection by pretending to be Groucho's reflection. Groucho attempts to pierce the illusion by moving his glasses, putting a hat on, dancing the Charleston, etc., but Harpo matches his every move. 
This scene is one of just a couple of things my six-year-old daughter and I can watch together and both enjoy. It's hilarious, and it never gets old. I love that somebody brought up Duck Soup. Uh, TJ Keller. My favorite broken glass scenes in movies and moments from movies. Number two, from the 1989 Kickboxer. Wow. (laughs) Covering your fists. (laughs) (laughs) Covering your fists with glass before fighting stands on its own. Enough said. We're in Dingo's language. Noise. Um, How does he do that? How does he... I can't remember. Does he like roll his fists in glass or something? Uh, T.J. Keller's number one from 2000, The Way of the Gun. In the final confrontation of the movie, Ryan Philippe dives into a fountain where locals. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good one. Sorry. The impact is what you would expect, and really ups the tension in that scene. For all the great hits and shots in this movie, that one and Sil- Sarah Silverman getting punched really stands out, not unlike the glass in Ryan's arm. Thank you for the fine guess. I don't remember that scene. Because yeah, you don't expect in the bottom of a fountain, he just happens to be, you know, there's broken glass there, and it's really inconvenient that he jumped into it. I that You know, you're, you're the one who likes Christopher McQuarrie movies, Dingus. That's a good point, actually. You're, the, you're our uh, live-die-repeat uh, apologist. Yes, I am. So you need to check out uh, Way of the Gun again. All right, uh, Kelly? What? Can you say Arthur's last name for me, please? Siobhan and Jelly. Thank you very much. Um, His number three is The World is Not Enough. In a fit of anger, Renard punches through a glass table and then, because he can no longer feel pain, casually plucks the pieces of gross broken glass from his bloodied hand. I picked this because I once cut my hand with broken glass and needed eight stitches, and this silly scene was all I could think about as the doctor closed the wound. Hmm. Thank you, Arthur. Arthur's number two. The shadow. Oh my god. The shadow telekinetically shatters a labyrinth of mirrors and hurls the shards of mirrored glass into the skull of Shuan Khan, disabling his kinetic powers. <laughs> I wish you were reading this, Kelly. Using telekinesis to throw broken glass looks cool, no matter the movie. Sounds like some anime thing. It does. That's why I wish Kelly Wan would read it. Um, Arthur's number one, Die Hard. The terrorists shoot out some glass partitions because they notice that McLean's barefoot. Probably has been mentioned Fence already. What did you say, Kelly? Yeah. Nothing, sorry. sorry. Uh, Grant Stewart. 3 by 3 from me this week goes a bit like this. Number three, a serial killer has been created in a computer program in the 1995 cyber thriller Virtuosity. Wow. The program which Grant spells P-R-O-G-R-A-M-M-E. Um, the program, played by Russell Crowe, escapes into RL by forming himself from glass. Denzel Washington must then track him down, but whenever he damages him, he can heal himself by absorbing some glass. Many broken glass-related hijinks ensue. That's, that's an odd superpower. That makes me kind of want to see the movie. Yeah. I remember seeing it, but not for... Jeez. I guess I must have just seen it in 1995. Huh, so broken glass heals him up, okay? Yeah. yeah. It's like Sandman, but, you know. Oh, right, exactly, but but with with a different form of sand. Right. Uh, Grant Stewart's number two. I'm a bit of a collateral apologist. 
Oh my god, I like where he's going with this already, though. As as someone who hated Collateral, I I love this pick. And Miami Vice, for the record. Towards the end of the movie, Jamie Foxx takes absolutely ages to break some laminated glass to get in a building to prevent some Jada Pinkett Smith jeopardy. Laminated glass is absolutely nuggets, but movies never really take the time to show this. Wait a minute, I thought he was going to talk about Tom uh, Cruise throwing the chair through the glass. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, busting his ass on that chair. I thought, oh, I'm so disappointed. And finally, oh my gosh, we have another one. Grant Stewart in the 1989 classic Kickboxer. Wow, yep. Jean-Claude Van Damme must avenge the disabling injury that the villain Tong Po dealt his brother in Muay Thai fight in Bangkok. The stakes are... Kelly, you should just be reading all Yeah, that. I know. Yeah, These are totally from anime, too, it sounds like. Are raised by fighting in the ruins of an old temple. Instead of wearing gloves, the two fighters wrap their hands with rope, then dip the back of their fists in glue, and press the sticky surface into a bowl of broken glass. To really yeah, demonstrate... Kickboxers use their feet, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's to make sure they don't use their hands, I guess. Yeah. Uh... I guess this is box, box, box kickers? Uh, to really demonstrate just how tough Tong Po is after he has done this, he licks the broken glass. Oh my god! It's kind of a little over the top, Tong Po. Now attached to the back of his hand. Oh, oh my gosh! Tong Po, we got the point when you rolled your hand in it. I mean, come on. So uh, Grant Stewart ends by saying, Guten Abend, Grant. That I like means, bad tastes. Oh, sorry, what? I mean, that means shoot the glass. Guten Abend. Guten Abend. Yeah. Uh, next we have Joey, Joey Brimhall. Hello. My grandparents had HBO in the 90s, and whenever I was there, I stayed up late to watch whatever crappy already movie was on for the boob scene. One of these was called The Temp, starring Timothy Hutton and Laura Flynn Boyle, where they work for a cookie company. There is a scene where this sweet little old lady is handing out cookie samples at a grocery store and takes a bite out of a cookie. As she chews, blood starts oozing out of her mouth. What? Turns out Timothy Hutton's cookie company had a batch go out with broken glass baked inside. Uh, yeah. That's not funny. <laughs> if it bends, it's so funny. <laughs> If it's broken glass. Who is this? <laughs> Joey Brimhall's number two. My second pick is Ghost. Patrick Swayze's killer, the huge piece of broken glass fall right into his midsection, then his ghost gets dragged to hell. I would like to give an honorable mention to Patrick Swayze's Roadhouse, just for the sheer amount of broken glass in that movie. Thanks, mm. Joey. I haven't seen it, but I can already imagine. Uh, Colton W. Westrate, another great movie. Uh, great movie. Great name of a listener. Uh, Colton W. Westrate says, Thank goodness Grant at least mentioned Home Alone for the Siege 3x3. I was sad no one picked the birds, though, well, you know what they say about if you want things done right. Number three, here's a quote from it. I should have known way back when. You know why, David? Because of the kids. They called me Mr. Glass. Mm, I wonder if it was going to come up. The Seymour yeah, Samuel Jackson is rushing down the subway stairs and slips. It makes you cringe just thinking about his fall. If Mr. Glass doesn't count as broken glass himself, then his cane exploding on impact with the wet 
urban concrete during the same sequence certainly does. Colton, yeah, I'm not going to pull you over for that. That's fine. I didn't think of it myself. Did you Did you hear that coming, you guys? I did. Well, I wonder. I mean, I'm not a say, Unbreakable fan here, but I definitely could see people picking that one, yeah. Kelly, oh, do you stand... Name. Sorry, what? Do you like Unbreakable, Kelly? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's an interesting idea, and there's good scenes in it. It's just one of those movies... It's the... Like all of his movies, they fall apart if you start thinking about it at all. But it's like everyone's so – they're acting like it's all really happening, and Bruce Willis is really intense in it. So you kind of go, all right. Well, we'll like all, all of his movies except for The Happening, that one doesn't fall apart. That one's airtight. And The Village. <laughs> and, right. and Lady in the Water. <laughs> Signs, though. Signs especially is the airtight one. Oh, Broken Glass and Signs. Why didn't we pick that? Oh, good Lord. You know, Swing Away. Broken Glass? Yeah. Come on. How could we have missed that? I, I'm a huge fan of Unbreakable, and I don't think it falls apart. I, I love the earnestness of it. I love what it says about, you know, superhero movies and superhero lore. I love the – I love the. I mean, this is one of the movies where I feel like he's really swinging for the fences and hoping to create – like this, yeah. this myth that's going to go on and on and on. I love that movie. So. It's a bold experiment. Yeah, you're right, you know? Kelly. It is. Yeah. And I felt I remember feeling kind of bummed by the ending. Like, oh, I don't know if I like this. Like, I had to decide if I liked the whole movie or not. Why is the ending bumming? I mean, I don't know. I just remember thinking that because of the all. This is what's happened. Like flashback stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't understand how I was supposed to react. I guess. I think it, then, I think it for me it's 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 I feel about really, good. Well, just I was really curious what happened next too. Like that seemed to yeah. be a bigger question than what it gave us. Like, wait, what? Just give me ten years from now. Is he is he still immortal? Does he so he ages though? What? I don't know. I was but curious about. I, was, I totally agree with you. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, I totally. I, I, I this is one of the things I felt about rock and roll and why I love rock and roll so much is because it's the first part of a trilogy that never gets made. Um, and rock and roll was so exciting at the end because to me, I'm like, oh my gosh. All right. Well, let's see where you're going to go with this. Go, go with it. Um, and so Unbreakable fills me with that same thing. I'm sorry to get all enthusiastic and step on you, Kelly, but. No, I, I didn't. It was just, it, it, I, I get really, I got really excited about it. It's the last time I felt that during a Shyamalan movie where I really gave a shit. Like during the village, it was like, oh, I wonder, I hope these guys are okay. You didn't give a shit during the visit? <laughs> I did when he rapped. See? Exactly. Right. That's the that's the most horrifying scene that Shyamalan has ever filmed, frankly. That'll Nazi. that'll Yeah, your blood run cold there. That yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. That's another bold experiment, that movie. Yeah, well, if you why wasn't he doing just gross out, you know, low uh hanging fruit horror all along? Literally. Yeah. Well he did that with the uh, I guess he didn't direct the elevator movie we saw. No, he just finished it. Yeah, that wasn't low hanging fruit, Dingus. That was totally cerebral. It had biblical themes, and it had <laughs> it had like Water. character development and plot driven, and it had dialogue like Bone Tomahawk. There were shots. There were shots of things. You bet. Very a sense of place. 
credits are upside down at the beginning and then they're right side up. <laughs> wow, you remember that. Oh my God, Kelly Wand. Yeah, so I was like, ah, that, what's that going to mean? That, nothing? Ah, got it. Excellent. Totally understand now. Because it's an elevator, upside down, got it. So they're going down, not up? No, no, didn't even mean that. Got it. Nothing. Check. Checkbox, nothing. All right, Colton W. Westright has an interesting number two. I wonder what you guys will think of it. When the T-Rex comes through the roof of the Ford Explorer in Jurassic Park, the Without glass, breaking any glass. Oh, go ahead. What the glass it? breaks loose, even if it's tickling, doesn't shatter. Is that what he's saying? Is he right? Uh, he breaks loose, but doesn't shatter? See? Yeah, that's exactly what Kelly Wan and I are asserting. We feel vindicated. Thankfully, this Tonga toughness improves the scene significantly. Uh-huh. What do you think of that, Dingus? What do you think of that? Is what we want to know. I'm not crazy about physics. it. Because yeah, it's physics. It, the, yeah. the, the T-Rex can't get any purchase on it with the way his mouth is shaped. I'm, he can just, sure, I'm certain that the, nose, the glass breaks. It breaks where? Just, when? Yeah. The kids would be in this t- in the T-Rex's belly if the glass broke. When he's bonking on it. No, they'd be dead. He's yeah. right. <laughs> it's the only thing that stops him from getting eaten. They're That's probably- what makes it a scary scene. Is like, oh shit, all they have is glass. If the glass breaks, they're fucked. Yeah. Oh good, it breaks. And they're That's holding it against his nose. Like it's yeah. on their pushing, they're pushing it against its nose. Yeah, it's a battle of wits. But then Grant gets uh, out and starts waving a flare and, and, and distracts him, but he does break the glass. It doesn't shatter, but it snaps. No. no. All right. It snaps? At yeah. the end, you mean? What, like yeah. in half? What do you like? Yeah, it, like jagged. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Colton Westrate's number one is Die Hard, of course. No need to. Because you know here. your problem, real quick. Your problem is you've been watching too many Jurassic Park movies that you forget the greats. You've diluted is- your Jurassic Park experience with way too much stuff. Yeah, and I and I have a kid who loves to watch movies multiple times, like I do. So they're all starting to blend together. So fair I mean, enough. Yeah. Let's wake your son up right now. We'll let him decide because I'll bet he would agree with me and Kelly on this. Mm-hmm. I'm certain he would have a better memory of it than I do. Yeah. Right. Or the so, dinosaur. So Colton's number one is Die Hard. Of course, no need to be cute here. Shattered safety glass and bare feet. It's totally. He says it's totally oogly woogly. Yep. Take care, guys. Colton. All right, we have two more. Uh, Nick D. Hi, guys. Number three, I'll give you a quote from it, which Kelly Wand might understand. Uh, she stem fenced her. All right, so Nick's got you on. Uh, shoot the glass. Very good. Number two for Nick D, Black Swan. What? In one creepy moment that is likely more of a nightmare, Natalie Portman pulls a piece of broken glass out of her stomach. Gross. I don't even remember that, but I'm sure you're right, Nick. It sounds like something that would be in that movie. She's dying from something at the end, but I forget how that happens. She gets shot. I mean, I don't know. She gets she shot? Yeah, because there's a, there's a whole gun play on the stage. Uh, Nick's number one. I thought ghost. that was Birdman. We have another ghost pick. In the climactic fight scene, ghost Patrick Swayze is tormenting alive. Tony Goldwyn, God, I hated Tony Goldwyn in this, who freaks out and tries to escape out a window. Unfortunately, a swinging chain smashes it just as he's halfway through, and a plate glass window slides down and pierces him in the chest. This is, of course, followed by him dying and seeing Swayze before him being pulled down to hell. Cheers, Nick. 
This does remind me of one of my runners-up, but I'll bring it up. Finally, after we do Chris Markinson, hey guys, I have one pick for this 3x3, since all the other instances of broken glass that I could think of were from pretty popular films, which have probably been taken. I do like my one pick, though. Quote, don't open your eyes. This is breakaway glass, but it can still cut you. That sounds familiar. At the end of the game, Michael Douglas walks off the... Walks off the top floor of a skyscraper and falls through the glass roof of a ballroom, landing safely on a giant airbag. Douglas is covered in glass, and I like as the people from CRS converge on on Douglas. They warn him that the glass is of the breakaway variety, but it can still hurt him. Thanks, guys, Chris. Um, Chris, I have to say, I hate that moment in the movie. I really don't like uh, the game at all, um, other than a couple of moments here and there. I hate how that whole thing is set up that somehow he can fall through all that glass. But you bringing up that they are saying that to him as he gets up covered in glass, I think is a pretty good moment. It's just him getting there you don't agree with. No, I don't. I don't think that that makes any sense. There's no way that there's no way somebody's going to jump off the roof and exactly at that point and wind up on an airbag after falling through all of that glass. The thing is, they know him pretty well. They can sort of anticipate things that he's Pay likely to do. Game. It's an airbag. Yeah. It's there's game. a bunch of broken glass too in Constantine after she falls through the glass. But but anyway, do you guys have any uh, runners up? So I didn't use this because the glass is intact in these two things when it does what it needs to do. It's only that it breaks after the fact. And once it's broken, we don't care anymore. But in The Omen, when David Warner gets uh, decapitated, it's a piece of glass that's oh. hanging off the back of a truck. You know, it, it rams through and it de- – and actually, it may not even break. Um, right. But it decapitates him. And then, Kelly, one, I think you and I, if we disagreed about this one, in one of the final destinations, it's the one where they trick you into thinking the kid is going to get killed by some – horrible mishap at the dentist's office uh-huh. he lives and then as he's leaving a pane of glass drops on him but uh not, not so, so I, what i recall is it's not sideways it's flat on and smushes him flat that's but, yeah and didn't you tell me I, I, didn't we disagree and you thought he got sliced or no there's two different ones there's this Final Destination 2, He what just happened, what you just said happens, happens. Okay, it's horizontal, so it's, and there's a bunch of birds. He's, yeah, yeah, because that's the thing, is he sees the birds when he's yeah. in the office, and you know they're going to be instrumental. But someone gets sliced? And then in the fifth one, it's a fake-out where you go, oh, it's a dentist. No, it's uh, it's LASIK. Or, no, wait, what was it? Fuck. You know what, that's the one I haven't seen. But well, then you told me... It, he trips and then falls through the, the window of the building. <laughs> and I went, that's not possible. And you're like, it happens. Man, I don't remember that. That's, that's a lame death then. Uh, it's but 55. The, the dentist is the one where it, 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 it smushes him flat uh, yeah. sideways. And, and that's, it doesn't break either. He would be in a better better position. Yeah, exactly. But now, yeah, he's flattened by super heavy glass. Uh-huh. Uh, I wanted to pick this so bad because I haven't seen this in a long time and I really like this movie. But unfortunately, the glass doesn't break. So uh, the movie Oscar and Lucinda, Kate Blanchett has a black, uh, glass factory and they make a glass church that Ray Fiennes gets trapped in and he, it, when it sinks and he drowns. But I was thinking, yeah, it breaks, but no, 
doesn't break. That's the problem. It's intact when it sinks and it kills him. Do you guys know Oscar and Lucinda? No. Oh. Well, sorry I've spoiled it for you. Um, do you guys remember a movie – I can't I, – I've just been racking my brain about the, this this week. Um, it's It's a movie that – I don't know. It might be a flashback or the earlier part of the movie where uh, it, where it takes place in the '60s or the '70s, and they're having a party at the house. The movie centers around the younger brother, but the older brother, who's super cool and everybody loves, um, like is running through the house and doesn't see that the sliding glass door is closed. Do you know what I'm talking about, Tom? No, but I, I'm. I'm laughing because he, he and then he runs through it. Actually, it may not be a joke, but go, it may be. No, it, it's it's a horrible moment oh. because this is not tempered glass. This is at a time when it was just when it was non-safety glass. Where when and because he runs through it, it you know slices his jugular vein basically. Yeah. And he's lying there dying as the people at this party watch him die. And then the movie goes on from there, and it's 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 like in the in the in the vein of like you would imagine almost famous, like sort sort of that, like the way that filmed right. era would look. But I cannot, for the life of me, remember what that is. That does but it's, sound this guy running through uh, a sliding glass door, which was a huge fear of mine in the first house I uh, I bought because it had this weird like step down to the sliding glass door, and it was an old sliding glass door that was not tempered glass. I can just remember my – I could just imagine my toddler like going down the step and like smacking into the door and breaking it and just like shards of glass falling instead of the, the way tempered glass shatters, which later happened when people were like throwing darts and somebody threw a dart at the window and it just shattered in that perfect like striated like the way that tempered glass shatters. But the way that this glass shatters, I cannot for the life of me remember this movie. Dang it. It does sound familiar. Not Boogie Nights. No, it's not Boogie Nights. All right. I'll just keep looking. Kelly, do you have any other? No. All right. Well, you know what time it is then, Kelly Wand. This week's, next week's 3 by 3 is three best firings from a job in a movie. <laughs> if you would like to participate, send your requests to... 3x3 at quarter to 3.com, and we will read them on the internet next week. Uh, Kelly, what are we seeing next week? The Huntsman and the Huntsman. I thought it had some colon after this. It's like the Huntsman, the blah, blah, Huntsman blah. Huntsman Winter's War or something. Oh, is it really? Okay. Huntsman v. Winter. Huntsman. <laughs> Tune in uh, to find out who wins. Huntsman Winter's War. I was right. Sounds like a Bruce Willis movie a little bit. Wait a minute, isn't there the the Avengers? I can I get Avengers. No, wait. There's an Avengers Avengers something. Eh, whatever. Uh, no, no. Isn't there an Avengers something war? I don't know. Yes, oh, Captain Civil America, Civil, Civil Winter war. Soldier. No, Civil Winter war. Soldier, Civil Winter war. war. Right. Okay. Yeah. It See? is a little confusing. Yeah, it is counter-programming. It's all designed to trick you. And I have no desire now. I know Ding is super excited about this. I don't want to watch superheroes fight each other anymore. I'm done with that. Uh, Bucky! Ugh. Wait, he's not fighting. It's Iron Man and, and uh, Tony Stark. Or it's Iron Man and... Um, they're fighting over him. They're fighting over Bucky? I think so, yeah. I thought they were fighting over legislation. Yeah, about Bucky. He's like a son of a <laughs> Really? Superman blows him up. Wait. Okay, I see. 
I was I started to believe you because you know about comic books. You are my comic yeah. books Obi Wan, but mm. uh, Bucky. I Bucky. actually I do know what the Civil War is about. You know how I know from a pinball table. If you have any questions about the Civil War, what it's about, what precipitates it, I can answer those questions based on having played a pinball table about it. You mean the American Civil yeah. War? It's about states' rights. <laughs> that would be awesome. A pinball table about the American Civil War would be sweet. Huh. But no, that movie's not for uh, – is it a matter of weeks? I don't know. Whenever that – Pinball's like a cannonball. Did they use those in the Civil War? Or was that French things? Yeah, they would have cannonballs in the Civil War. That's, that's yeah, Very good. <laughs> Very good. Huntsman, Winter Sol- or Winter's War, American War Civil. Uh, the thing with Charlize Theron, you can just go to your theater, ask for a ticket to that. They'll Chastain's in it. About. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. Is Emily Wait, really? Mm-hmm. Do we get em- more Emily Blunt? Yeah. We better. I think she's in it, too. And uh, Thor. Uh, okay, I can take him or leave him. I know, um, me too. Uh, and yeah, we don't have to deal with Kristen Stewart, which is generally a net plus. So don't fuck your director. No, we'll we'll talk about this next week, but I disagree with that. Interesting. Uh, let me make a note to bring that up and taunt you mercilessly about it. What Good. part? That she's not in it, or that she should that you shouldn't fuck your director. You want to fuck your director? <laughs> or you should fuck your director. Well, I, I want to hear Dingus's take on that. Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, tune in next week to find out why Dingus is defending Kristen Stewart's either actions on set or on screen. Uh, Worked out for Mella, though, huh? and Beckinsale. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly right. If you make a career out of it, yeah, if it's a one-time thing, I don't know that it works out very well. And De Niro. <laughs> we can't <laughs> Reeves. Uh, that's enough of that. Uh, let's... <laughs> Dude. That's where he draws the line. Uh, so winter uh, war, uh, something with winter and war uh, and huntsmen with Charlize Theron. We're seeing that. We'll do a three by three about uh, severances, being let go, firings, if you will, uh, redundancies, as they sometimes call them in the UK. Uh, and uh, join us for that. I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Christian. Mostliski. It's Christian Morosky. And we had Kelly Wand. Good times, good times. Hey, Dingus, we saw a movie and talked about it. I love you, Kelly. I can't wait to hear you say it. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Okay.